Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanakichi. I just inherited a Yakuza Empire, and I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> you guys. Oh, Sakichi. Uh, a very interesting character in this one. This is a an especially plotty Zatoichi that we're talking about this week. Zatoichi the Fugitive from 1963. It's <laughs> Not one of confused. many... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to be confused with Zatoichi and the Fugitive from 1968, or Zatoichi the Outlaw from uh, later on. Yeah, I mean, you you do 30 of the, or there's 26 of these, so they do kind of overlap a bit. Uh, much as I think we'll find if we ever manage to get a proper collection of uh, the Santos and dig oh, through those. <laughs> God. I, I don't know if we're going to do the whole Santo series. I mean, but, there's uh, a lot more of those than there are Zatoichis. <laughs> we have to, if we did three Zatoichi episodes in a year, it would take us like, oh my God, it would take us like a decade to get through them. I mean, pretty much. Yeah, there's almost yeah. 30 of them. And uh, that's how they released it. It was three in a year. Yeah, they came out fast. This is there there were 3 in 63, I think, including the previous and the next one. Uh and it's from the same director as uh Tale or New Tale of Zatoichi, the previous one, uh Tokuzo Tanaka. And it's kind of similar. Got a lot of similarities in terms of just uh a lot of plot. Both of these were really plot heavy ones. I I don't remember the previous one that much, but this one is I remember, I remember when I was uh, typing to you, trying to summarize just the plot that had happened in the first twenty minutes, and it was this huge wall of text. Yeah, it just there's so much, and it's another one of these where it's it all matters, but it kind of just all comes to one point. You know? Yeah, <laughs> everyone dies. <laughs> what you basically, yeah, what you basically need to know is that nobody thinks Sakichi should be the leader of the Yakuza. And nobody wants Zatoichi to be alive. Well, and also that it's continuity heavy again, that we're oh, still yeah. dealing with the ramifications of movie one. Yeah, we've got uh, the girl and I think the evil Yakuza boss from the first one. Yeah, uh, they're both up. hanging around. Uh, mm. Otane, a pretty important character in this one. Uh, very important, yes. So one of the other things that's kind of interesting about this one that I haven't noticed in the previous ones is that it really seems to be conscious of the time of year. Like it's very summery. It's hot. Everyone's too hot all the time. This is such a hot movie. Uh, he is always fanning himself or always wiping the sweat off his face. Everybody's just drenched in sweat. The sun is so bright. The sun is oppressive. Uh, just right from the beginning. Like it, the first thing you, you see is just him mopping the sweat off his brow on this long walk in like desert area mm -hmm. <laughs> just cicadas uh buzzing everywhere it it reminds me of uh kind of of do the right thing and just how well they captured how hot it is yeah it feels excessively hot all the time uh and it has kind of a visual flair to it with that too. It's got a lot of oranges, a lot of tans. Uh, it, it feels warm. Like the, it looks warm. Mm -hmm. Was, I don't remember. Was the previous Zatoichi also in color? I think it yeah. was. I think that that one was the first one in color. 
Right, right. Yeah. Um, this one uses color really well. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, again, uh, I, I believe it was also Akira Fukube who did the score. Uh, the previous ones, uh, he returns again. And it's, again, just th this one especially, maybe, really doomy rhythmic score. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's Godzilla-esque. Uh, Fukube also did the score to Godzilla. And oh. it has that just doom crunch to it. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, considering there isn't a lot of fighting until the end. Well, yeah, well, that's... No, there is, there is. There's a little bit, but it, it's More definitely held back. I, I do feel like most of the uh, first hour is just Ichi trying to be... Uh, or trying to avoid conflict. He, he's, you know, he's killed someone that he didn't really want to kill and he kind of feels bad about and it's just him trying not to do that again because he's thinking about how, man, everybody has a mother. I'm killing all these people. I am breaking up families and I feel bad about it and he doesn't want to do that the rest of the movie but just things get out of his control and he has to do it a whole lot by the end. <laughs> so much <laughs> people are saying to him like hey you should leave you should leave otherwise all the shit's gonna go down and he's just like dude think about all the different players in the game the shit's gonna go down whether i'm here yeah. or not yeah i am just i like i i realize that i have brought bad feelings into this town but they were already there they they were just hidden under all of the the festivities you you just didn't know about it until i showed up and brought it all out into the open mm -hmm. uh, yeah and just the the heat the oppressive heat the the doomy rhythmic score uh, as he's walking through just these rocky desolate landscapes through the opening credits yeah and he comes to a really bustling market town where kind of everything is going to be uh, the I, I guess this is essentially where things take place because this is where he has the sumo competition first. I love the sumo competition. I had to watch it twice because it was over so quickly. It's Which very tends fast. To be how these things, these fights go. Yeah, we don't see a whole lot of it. We just see, you know, there is a big sumo competition, a big crowd. It's uh, you know, the winner takes all, and he hops in and he uses his massage skills <laughs> <laughs> well the first thing he does is he just stands there and the guy runs into him and like bounces off of him it's almost a buster keaton routine it kind of is <laughs> he's, he's making funny faces as he's doing it well he's like acting up how blind he is he's kind of mm -hmm. like really projecting blindness to the audience to be like Oh, come on, this is going to be an easy defeat. You know, we're, we're going to totally be fine. It makes it seem like he's bumbling and the the, the opponent's defenses are lowered and he uh -huh. just decimates five guys. <laughs> <laughs> he's using like massage pressure points to uh -huh. take them out and stuff. Yeah, like like uh, the Vulcan armpit pinch. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, classic Ichi stuff. His oh. his massage techniques are part of his special skill set. Oh, yeah. No, he is one of, if not the best masseur, which we don't see a lot of except for in this opening bit in this one. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there is one point where everybody's just kind of happy and he's hanging out giving massages and people <laughs> show up to talk bit. about like, oh, man, did you hear Ichi's in town? He's really dangerous. And like, 
this Ichi? He's just like surrounded by people and everyone's getting massages. <laughs> it's like he's given a really good massage right now. This guy. <laughs> uh, I, I know I've mentioned it before, but I just love the character. Like, uh, what is it? Shintaro Katsu. Shintaro Katsu is so great. He like he looks like an adorable soft teddy bear until he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he's very good at doing that. He's got this cuddliness to him. And then and, and there's a real playfulness to the character. I, I really love the ending of this movie. Oh, I love the ending to this one because it, it could have been so dour and it still is, but it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> this is like like I said, the oppressive heat and the doomy music. This is a weirdly ominous Ichi film, even though it's not quite to like the weird experimental lengths that the series will get later. I can't wait till we get to those. Oh, yeah. And gets very wild and mm. starts crossing over with other series and stuff. Yeah, I saw one of them was Zatoichi versus Yojimbo. Yeah. Which, that's a name I know. <laughs> right. We should watch Yojimbo. Oh, we should. It's a good one. Mifune and Sakura Kurosawa. Oh. Uh, it's what uh, Fistful of Dollars is based on. Oh shit! No, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we talked about how that was such a samurai movie in the West. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it literally was like it was literally a remake of it, and in Japan, Akira Kurosawa ended up getting the theatrical rights to Fistful of Dollars as a result because it was oh, an that's unauthorized cool. remake. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And it was close enough they had to give it to him. They're like, I mean, it obviously is. He's and I think Leona was like, I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so yeah, Ichi he just destroys a bunch of guys in sumo wrestling, which is kind of fun. They're they're not big people. No, the sumo. yeah, I, I think a lot of this is like amateurs. Like, hey, I bet I can throw down with some other amateur sumo guys. Well, it's like, what was that uh, Kung Fu? I think it was Boxer from Shantung that had the big Kung Fu exposition, right? I think so. <laughs> and he had to like work his way through the ranks to get the money. Uh, that, that or maybe be. that was, or was that Five Fingers of Death, maybe? Oh, you know, that's back. probably Five Fingers of Death. He Because Boxer from Shantung was a, more of a Yakuza plot. Yeah, yeah, him gaining power rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I think that must have been Five Fingers of Death. That was fun. But, yeah, but yeah, you, you know, the, the the kung fu competition—you prove your worth and you also make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. It's it's that same kind of thing. So he wins, and later he's just relaxing by a pond. He's got this big barrel of beer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like washing his clothes he's got this umbrella he's got like this beach blanket set up kind of deal yeah he, he looks very chill and relaxed and just a total amateur comes up and attacks him uh looking for this bounty that's on his head which is total news to ichi yeah he's like holy shit oh my god i'm so sorry that i actually fought you for real i thought you would be better if you're going to attack me i'm but so guy... sorry i killed you so hard well, no, because first the guy insults him. Yeah. He he attacks him and he goes, I'm like, hey, what, what the shit is this, man? I, I'm just relaxing here. What's this all about? And he says something about how he's after him for the bounty. And he says, what can you do? You're a blind man. And Ichi just, he gives him one warning. He's like, hey, don't mess with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. He does say, he's like, hey, 
you've made me angry now. Yeah, you you made me mad. This is your last warning. And the guy makes one attempt and he just kills him in one stroke. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, and that and that's when Ichi starts freaking out, like, oh my god, like why did you come after me when you're so unskilled? Like, <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking, man? Dude, like now I've got to tell your mother. Where does your mother live? And the guy's like, look, I really needed the money. I needed the ten Raya that are on your head. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, shit. I mean, if you really needed it, you know, who, who? Yeah, who put the bounty up? Who? And he gets nothing there. And it's like, okay, well, give me your mother's name because you were about to die. I need to kind of go amend for this. <laughs> <laughs> And he doesn't really give much information. He says that she's nothing but a Yakuza. Yeah. Uh, but he does kind of get an idea of where she lives. Uh, and this this is Kasuke Manju. The, uh, uh, the guy who attacked him? Yeah, the guy who dies yeah. here. He's sort of uh, an important figure despite being dead. He really casts a shadow over the movie. Yeah, he's supposedly he's the reason why this whole yakuza thing group is after ichi for yeah. revenge for killing their men which is weird because there's already a bounty on him and that's why he was after him well i think what it is is the boss told kisuke personally like hey there is a tenryo bounty on ichi's head you go kill him knowing that ichi was going to kill him and he was going to use that to start this whole war that's what i think well, I'm pretty sure it was actually Sakichi who put the uh, put the hit out on him, and I think it was just based on stuff from the previous thing. Oh, right, yeah, because I think because this is all like the same Yakuza clan from the last few movies. Well, from the first one, especially, this is him back in the same territory as the first one, and a lot of people who were involved in that are around. It's all the same bosses, like the mm-hmm. the same council of bosses. Yeah. And, you know, he took one of their guys out, and now Sakichi is the guy who is filling that void, I think. Yeah, yeah, but he is completely oh, he not the guy for the job. He is a lame duck. But uh, unfortunately for him, the other bosses who want the boss position knows he's not the guy for the job. So, Boss Ogishi is is like the big boss there there's Basagichi there's Yagari Tamamura and th- they've all shown up to see Sakichi cuz it's it's Sakichi's uh it's part of the festival is his ascension ceremony mhm uh, cuz he's the guy who's new and all of them are here to celebrate and they're all acting like they're in a really great mood and you know the the, the energy of the town you know it's a big festival and everyone's really positive mm-hmm. yeah it's really nice for a while well it, it's nice until ichi shows up <laughs> yeah yeah ichi shows up he arrives and immediately there's like a shadow cast on it because he comes in and like he's he's this figure of death and he walks in and there's the mother you know the elderly yakuza lady um uh what is her name uh, mar Mari or something like that or Mani? Yeah, um Maki. Maki. Maki, that's it. And what has my dumb idiot son got into this time? <laughs> yeah, and she's very cheerful, you know, she's someone who's been in this biz forever. And uh 
it's it's a good small performance that she has in this movie. Uh, it's it's kind of a a very sweet tragic character who mm-hmm. has to put on this brave face, who is mad about everything with this kid's life. It just it was a wreck from beginning to end. He was always a bad kid, but yeah, you know she's she's his mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, played by Sachiko Murase, who uh, was you know classic japanese actress uh you know going back to the silent era oh cool cool uh, she is in uh further zatoichis or at oh, least shit. one oh cool as, as a different character i think oh, okay uh in 65 she plays shimazo's wife in zatoichi and the doomed man <laughs> some <laughs> of the titles of the later zatoichi films like we've got We've got the the ones we've done, like Tale of Zadoichi, the new tale. There's Zadoichi and the Cursed Gold. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Zadoichi oh, on a jungle adventure. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> With crocodiles. Oh, that would be rad. Ichi fighting crocodiles? I'd be into that. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Maki, he breaks the news that like uh yeah so your son he's dead and i killed him and i'm really sorry <laughs> yeah she goes to like beat him with a stick and is like oh well and i can see that you're actually yeah and he he makes no move to defend himself it's like yeah. i i will allow you to hit me i that is totally fair and she realizes that he is honorable she's mm-hmm. like well was it a fair fight and it's like yeah you know it was totally yeah. by the code totally fair and yeah, it, it it was it was it fair. Was, it was by the book, you know. Yeah. He he gave him an appropriate warning, and you know the guy continued to go for him. So it's like, well, what can we do? After the guy sneak tried to sneak attack him first, though. Well, yeah, and he's blind. Uh, the, the, <laughs> there was not a lot of honor on Kasuke's side, and I no. think the mom is very much aware of that, and just that he is willing to. Uh, speak well of him after having killed this person who really doesn't deserve it <laughs> she she sees the honor in him yeah and he gives her 10 ryo you know the amount uh for the bounty uh, uh specifically as pocket money not as a keepsake and th- this totally feels like please just spend the money and don't keep it as a, in memory of your son. Cause I, honestly, I'd feel really weird about that. <laughs> <laughs> your, your son worked hard for this and he wanted you to have it. And the mom's like, uh-huh. he was a bad kid. And I know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> My kid could never scrape 10 Rio together. No, no chance. So they, they have the funeral uh, and the mom Maki tearfully yells at the coven i'm not gonna mourn you <laughs> it's, it's, it's rough yeah but like it, it's interesting the the very sad tone that this movie has at the beginning that's quite different from the any of the previous ones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it starts with tragedy which is interesting because it usually builds up to it <laughs> yeah so yagiri uh, who's sort of the main big boss in this one. Uh, he's played by Toru Abe, who was in Gamera. He's oh. he's like the general in Gamera, I think. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, or something like that. I'm, I'm sure we've seen him in things. 
I believe well, that's he, what it was. <laughs> he would have been in the first Satoichi too. Uh, I don't know if he actually was. Oh. I think it's someone else who played uh the this character in the oh, earlier okay. one or something. Uh, I I'm fairly certain. Yeah, I don't know. I like I I'm I believe the only actor who came back was uh the one who plays Tane Otane. Mm. Uh, but just taking a look at the the list here, I I think I'm mixing it up, and there's someone else who played who who is also in uh the the Gamera movie. I I think I'm get, I'm mixed up with characters. Anyway, all right. Well, we'll figure it out eventually, or or we yeah, won't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, so uh, Yagiri he he comes after Ichi at the funeral. He's like, okay, well, we're going to kill you. <laughs> I love the way that he just walks away from the funeral. And as soon as he gets far enough away, all these guys just come out of the bushes. Yeah, they, they just rise out of the, like, behind tombstones and shit. <laughs> They're going to do this a few times, and I love it every time. Yeah. And and the mom comes in like, come on, if you're doing this for Kasuke, please don't. <laughs> he, yeah. he isn't worth it. <laughs> and Ichi's like, hey, listen, stop trying to fight in the graveyard. Yeah, th- this is so offensive. I- I'm trying to be like, I-, I really don't want to fight. I'm trying to avoid fighting. I feel bad about this. Don't you guys understand? Mm-hmm. But it's it's all political. This is a whole false flag operation that he's getting in the middle of. Oh, yeah. Like this whole thing, <laughs> this entire thing is just to make Sakichi look like a shitty boss so that they can uh, basically do a coup on him. Yeah, essentially. And Sakichi's there, you know, he he's the new local boss, and he's like, it, it's basically, look, I mean, I don't want to close the beaches. This is July 4th weekend. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got this whole thing going on. Just, we'll deal with Ichi after the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yagiri yeah, says to him, is like, what, you're just going to let him go? And he's like, in his like best mean voice, which is not very good. No. Oh, get him when the time is right. Yeah, I'll deal with it. I'm like, sure you will. But uh, this, this guy is, is... <laughs> yeah, Sakichi man. <laughs> he's so young too, like for a Yakuza boss. Yeah, he's kind of adorable in a way. Yeah, well, and and I think. Ichi feels that way too. Ichi kind of feels bad about him. He does sort of take him under his wing, even though the guy obviously is actively trying to kill him. And at times is forced into it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think Sakichi himself really wants to kill Ichi at all. Well, Sakichi wants someone to kill Ichi. He just doesn't want to have to be the person to do it because he's not capable of it. Yeah, but they want him to do it because yeah, they, they want know what will happen. Personally to do it because they want him to die. Yeah. yeah. And they, they hide behind the whole, oh, well, the code of honor is like, he's he basically spit on our whole gang. You, as the boss of the gang, have to deal with this. Right. So Yagri, he tells Yagri, when the time comes, I'll act. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like great and Yagri's like look well I'm gonna just raise the price on his head and maybe it'll get dealt with by someone who knows how to do things I'm gonna double the price 20 Ryo on his head now yeah 
<laughs> I love how, like, as the movie goes on, the price just goes up and up and up. Yeah. So Ichi goes to the local inn where he meets Anobu, very important character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like her too. She's fun. Yeah, played by uh, Miwa Takada, who is also just a very uh, a frequent uh, actor. She's in at least two more Zatoichi movies. Oh, cool. Uh, as different characters, of course. Right, yeah. They all have names starting with O. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, one of them is Saki. It's Saki and Omitsu. Hmm. Uh, she was in 100 Monsters as well. Oh, the, the no first. Way. Uh, the first uh, 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 yokai film. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she's one of the main people in that. So cool. Nobu, she meets up with Ichi, and you know, everybody there is really charmed by him when they don't know that he's Ichi. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, this this silly blind guest, he's so funny. He tells all these funny jokes, and he just came in, he's like, food, please. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, that fucking beggar, whatever. I mean, he'll give massages. We can chill with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh and Otane is there. He sees her. We don't get the name. It's not actually repeated that it's Otane, but it's like, hey, Otane. And he kind of is sent back into a sort of nostalgic reverie. Mm-hmm. Uh pointedly, she's very she's very um obvious about not trying to speak around him once she sees him. Yeah. Because like, she doesn't want she knows he won't recognize her face, but she doesn't want him to recognize her voice. She, she she doesn't want him to know that she's there. Whereas he clearly does realize, yeah. but she kind of just doesn't force the issue. She She's really trying to avoid everything. Yeah, Much as he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she's got this asshole samurai upstairs. <laughs> Maybe the worst rival samurai we've met so far. Tanakura. Yeah, he's just a shithead. That's his whole thing. He is. <laughs> he is. In all my, in everything I've referred to him as, he's just the drunk, dirty samurai. He's very drunk. He's very dirty, and he's just so mad. He's so mad all the time. Uh, just a huge chip on his shoulder about something in his life. Yeah, we don't really find out what, but he hates Zatoichi. Oh, he hates Zatoichi, and well, Zatoichi is. His ex's big crush, or his oh, his well, girlfriend's ex crush. Yeah, that, and for him, that's enough of a reason. Yeah, I mean, he is very toxic. <laughs> oh yeah, he, but he's also very cautious around Zatoichi. He knows what he's getting into with this guy. He or thinks pr- he does. Well, I think he completely does because he's the only person we've seen actually match up to Ichi so far. Like, he was oh, able to yeah. hold his own against him in the fights later on. That's true. The only one, other one who came close was the guy from the 2003 one, and that mm-hmm. was just in a dream. Right. So this is the first guy who's clearly a legit opponent. It's just, he has no honor, and he has kind of nothing else about him. Uh, he only has the fighting, and he is just a, a worthless wreck of a man outside of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Yakuza who've hired him have even said, like, hey, this guy's dumb. He sucks, but he's real strong. But yeah, he's he a great fighter, but he doesn't follow orders. He's a complete dick. And he's like, we're we need to target him at Ichi, and that's really all we can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Sekichi shows up. 
with a bunch of dudes because uh you know he's been browbeaten into he has to arrest Ichi. He needs to make Ichi leave town. Yeah, he's got to deal with this Ichi thing. Ichi's a problem, and it's his problem. Yeah, so he's like, I demand Ichi come out, and Nobu's is like, get out of here. He's a paying <laughs> customer, and he's been totally fine to everyone. What, what do you need with him? Yeah, and all the guards are like, how dare you speak to the boss? Like, hey, <laughs> hey, trying and- to hook up with her. Right. That's the thing that is really obvious right from the beginning. Sekichi and Anobu have this thing that is not allowed. It's like a Romeo and Juliet thing. It, uh, it, and it is mutual, but it's, it's not. It is. Yeah, they it cannot happen. Everybody's opposed to it. Uh, her dad's opposed to it. The Yakuza bosses won't let it happen. Yeah, they, they just don't want anything good for Sekichi because they do plan to kill him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're even... Like not quite. I guess it's right after this. Yeah, the innkeeper Shimazo, who is Anobu's father, yeah, uh, meets he's up with Yakuza. Quote unquote former Yakuza, but he's yeah. still very Yakuza. Oh, completely. And he kind of feels like he's someone who maybe just got deposed in whatever happened five years ago. Yeah, uh, the, as the ramifications of Ichi getting uh, just taking out forty people that time. <laughs> that time that time yeah. and so yeah shimazo he goes out to the barn and meets up with yagiri privately and yeah. they have the whole thing about how th- this is where we learn about tanakura being just kind of a shithead and pretty useless but we got to do something with him yeah they they mentioned they've got this plan for him to interrupt the festival uh, Yagiri suggests using Onobu as bait for Sekichi, right. and Shimazu's like, no, that's the one thing I won't do. And they're like, come on, we'd just have her pretend to, that she is going to marry him, and then we take him out. But he's like, no, 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 absolutely not. I, I won't even allow it to be a, a, a fake thing, even though he's they're patently in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to give Sakichi. He doesn't even want to give him hope, even if you're going to pull the rug out from under him. And it's kind of fun because their whole thing is they want to assassinate him, basically, just because he's a weak liberal. <laughs> basically, <laughs> like it, it's it's the behind the scenes thing in uh, like the the Texas fat men organization that Nixon goes to visit in <laughs> in Nixon where, where they're planning the the JFK assassination. Oh God, <laughs> I forgot about the fat men organizations. That was a real thing. Hell yeah. So uh the other big thing is Chuji Kunisada is arriving tonight and he's you know uh, the big deal older boss who they can't kill off Sakichi, if he shows up or like while he's around because he was big friends with uh Sakichi's dad yeah yeah Sakichi's dad I guess was would have been like the former Yakuza boss who was a big deal which is why all these guys have to listen to Sakichi right exactly and again this is the point where we've got plot and plot and plot and this character (laughs) and the relationships there and how they relate it's just there's so much being dumped out over and over and like it takes a very long time to get to any action this is one of the less popular ones as a result i think i thought it was pretty good actually i liked oh i like it i think i liked it more than the last two 
I definitely, yeah, I don't know about maybe Quest two. I, I think I liked it more than the previous one. And it is one that I liked more on a second watch. Hmm. Like, or I guess kind of a third watch, but it had been quite a while since I'd seen it the previous time. Yeah, I had to watch this one a couple times, too, just to keep track of the plot, because at first I didn't understand why the rival samurai was interrupting the festival. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's very talky. There, There's yeah. so much uh, exposition between characters, much like the previous one. Whereas, yeah. I, I guess the difference is that this one, there's a lot of talking about what everyone's going to do, whereas the previous one, a lot of it was just looks. You, you really had to pay attention to who was looking at who. Right, yeah. So yeah, their their plan. Tanakura, asshole samurai, is going to show up at the festival and just ruin it somehow. We don't exactly know how, but he's just going to wreck the whole festival for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> Seems like guess, something he can do. Yeah, and, and I suppose the idea is that they're going to go Sakichi into challenging him, which of course is not going to work. And he's going to murder him. Right, and Yagari, he starts to kind of pressure Shimazo to take care of Ichi himself while he's uh, staying in his inn. Like, yeah. you know, you could deal with this problem for us. I really want this Ichi thing dealt with. Yeah, yeah, we've got this whole big plan, and then now he showed up, and turns out he's hard to control. Yeah, this guy's a real agent of chaos. I'd really like you to deal with that, and then, of course, at that point, Ichi happens to just, like, wander through. <laughs> they, they have to hide in the barn. Oh, that reminds me. Every every time we see, even though, so we, when we see the town, it is usually celebratory and everybody's like cheering and stuff. But every time we see Ichi walking by, they're doing like the whole um, fistful of dollars thing where they just shut their doors when he comes in. Yeah, everybody disappears. People they like hide in the alleys. Hide, yeah. And Tanakura is up in his balcony watching them hide. And seeing like Ichi go by and them all hiding, and he's like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and then when Ichi comes back inside, he meets Tanakuru on the stairs. Yeah. And he has just this tense pass on the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I think this is still Tanakuru just testing Ichi's power because he's being as silent as he can going down the stairs, trying to see if Ichi's going to notice him, and he does. He does, and he just subtly does, because, you know, Ichi is also aware of the guy the whole time, and he's like, yeah. I don't know if I want to start something here, because this guy's clearly just waiting for violence. That That's his whole purpose. Yeah, yeah. His, uh, his rival samurai power level is inversely proportionate to his goddess shit together level. Right. So Ichi, again, he's practicing avoidance. He goes to hang out with Anobu and hang laundry and just get some gossip. Yeah, yeah. They they joke around a little bit. It's like, oh, hey, let me help you with that. Oh, no, it's my underwear. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know. Please, please uh, allow me. And she's kind of just catching him up on every all of the local events since all the shit that went down five years ago when he yeah. was last around and uh, was the cause of all the shit going down. <laughs> She just kind of fills him in on how everything's gone and how, uh, you know, her dad was deposed and they started this inn and he's he pretends to be happy being an innkeeper, but she knows he has these ambitions to be a Yakuza still. Yeah. And she just like, I have a real ominous feeling about what's going to happen during this festival. And she does say, like, look, I'm in love with Sakichi. 
but just everybody's against it. I can't make it happen. Yep. That's like the one thing the people in this town can agree on. And we also learned that she is a found orphan rather than being uh, the biological child of the, the father. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that bit. Which is interesting. Orphans are a big part of uh, samurai films, you know, uh, Lone mm-hmm. Wolf and Cub and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the wars they fought have creating orphans left, right, and center. Right. So the 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 su- succession party starts. Sakichi's <laughs> becoming a boss uh, uh, party. And of course, Tanakura shows up to bust things up. <laughs> yeah, it's not even clear what he's trying to do at first. He just seems to be drunk and wandering in and wanting to start shit with anyone. Well, it's weird because he claims to be here on behalf of a special officer, Kuyama, and he is here to get the money. He's like, the thing is, we need the money. You know, <laughs> he's he's the he, it's like he's the bank man for some sort of uh, external collection agency. And they're like, uh, what? <laughs> the Internal Revenue Shogun. Yeah, it's like that. They're like, uh, excuse me, this is where what are you talking about? And <laughs> yeah, this isn't a thing, guy. And then Ichi just kind of stumbles into the middle of it and he just introduces to himself and's like, oh hey everybody, you know, it's me, Ichi. You guys know me. Uh here I brought <laughs> I brought a donation. It's it's pretty small. I don't have a lot of money. It's three Ryo for uh uh for sakichi because i i really believe in him as a leader (laughs) yeah and everyone's like what the hell are you doing you're not gonna leave here alive what do you what is this right because these are all the bosses that he dealt with like five years ago three years ago and they're pissed at him and he's like i've i've missed all of you so much (laughs) (laughs) why are you in such a good mood man and like this totally steals uh, Tanakura's thunder. He's just like standing there, and his his yeah, whole like, purpose has been just ganked. And <laughs> they're yeah. matter at and, Ichi. Like they don't yeah, even and, care about him anymore. He's forgotten him <laughs> instantly. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not like Yagiri can order Tanakura to attack Ichi in front of all these guys. So he, everyone's just got to kind of keep their mouth shut. <laughs> It's so great because the like this guy has come in to rob them, but they hired him to rob them, so it wasn't. <laughs> they're not that mad about it. So as yeah. soon as Ichi shows up, and he is actually someone they're annoyed at, and they're like, "Oh, that's a fucking guy!" And Tanakuri, like, he came in with all this bluster and thunder, and now he's just standing there watching Ichi perform. <laughs> yeah, literally, like making he's... no sound and watching him like a hawk, and he's so mad. Mm -hmm. he's like he's like that's okay that's it i'm gonna challenge you to slicing things in half right he slices the teacup to to kind of show it like uh horizontally you know he does a slash through it and he's just like yeah i'm I'm, I'm impressed it's great and then he kind of just like moves over to one of the bosses and he barely seems to draw his sword and there's like, you know, it's the classic thing where you have a gap oh, yeah. and then ha- the bottle lengthwise falls off and all the, the sake drains out. Yeah, well, first he flipped a dice into the guy's sake bottle. Oh, and yeah. And the dice was cut in half. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone's just like, well, like, 
guess this party's over. Yeah, and Ichi leaves and Tanakura follows him. He's like, okay, this is where the interesting stuff in town is. I I can forget about this stupid bullshit about this false flag operation. Who cares? Who cares? This yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, this guy. So like, hey, don't be alarmed. You beat me back there. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I get it, but I'm watching you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so Kunisada shows up. The big boss, the guy who is buddies with Sakichi's dad, so uh, they they kind of have to keep on their... Like, he's more important than all of the others. Yeah, he he's he's a higher boss for about a town. Yeah. And uh, uh, he he meets up with uh, Okobu, or, sorry, Maki, first. Because he, like, knows Maki from back in the day. You know, she's, you know... Uh, old yakuza lady she's been around forever she's she's like uh yamamori's wife right and it's it's kind of fun you get this impression like he knows that this is the person you talk to to really get the real (laughs) dirt he's like i'm not gonna go talk to those asshole bosses i know how the rest of them are yeah the old lady hears everything and knows everything though right and you know he's sad to hear about the death of the son uh, although, you know, it's also, well, I mean, he was a bad son, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recently passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- this is where we have that scene where Ichi is given massages and someone rushes in and is like, have you heard this guy? Ichi is in town. He's doing, the- he did this cool fast draw competition and scared the shit out of all the bosses. And they're like, this guy, oh, he's yeah. right here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we need to get Ichi. There's a reward for him and the guy just starts going off about all the cool shit Ichi's done and so <laughs> just like just... he's he's right here and like the camera pans over and he's just like giving a massage and there's a bunch of people crowded around him everybody's very <laughs> cheerful <laughs> yeah yeah this guy this, this is guy? what you're talking about i mean he gives a really good massage <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then this one guy just starts going off which allows Ichi to escape like Looney Tune style. Well, they start talking about the events of movie one. They're like, yeah. oh man, remember that thing three years ago by the 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 Sasagawa River? That was him. Like, that was him? He killed so many dudes. There was a really famous swordsman who he killed with one stroke there. And meanwhile, <laughs> Ichi is crawling away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plays with a monkey for a few seconds on his way out. Yeah. <laughs> It crawls out the door uh, yeah. undercover. <laughs> I love that scene. So he goes out to the roof, and this is where he finally runs into Otane, and they have a bit of a talk. Yeah, she's gone through some shit after movie one, and he wants to just kind of be like, no, you're the same beautiful woman I met back then. And she's like, no no not no i'm not she's she had they both have very significant aphoristic lines about her experience since then and first she says look being a woman is serious business yeah you don't know what it's like out there and she's like look life's dirt sticks to everyone yeah yeah it's and she's like no you don't get it though yeah, it's like you don't get it. I I am a completely different person than uh, the 
you know, girl with a crush who tried to follow you out of town five years ago or three years ago. Uh, a lot has happened since then. And I'm with this guy now. And look, it's not great. I admit it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Had to, had to have, uh, go from man to man, you know, another day, another man. Yeah. So she goes back. She she gets mad at him ultimately because yeah. he just won't understand that she has grown up now. And yeah. She is not the innocent that she once was. She goes back to uh, 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 Tanakura and uh, gets it on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, uh, please make love to me. Yeah. I, I really need to just do something to make me not think about Ichi and how mad at him I am right now. Yeah. So next day. Ichi runs into Kunisara. This is a dude he knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, we both have prices on our head. Yeah, how about that? He's they're pretty fr- he's pretty friendly. He's kind of past all the ego bullshit of being. Oh boss. yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, neither of us is gonna live long, so let's have fun with it. Yeah, let's both live well. Uh see you, see you maybe somewhere down the road or maybe not. I mean, one of us <laughs> is probably gonna eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, uh, I'm going to get out of town. The The whole festival has been ruined by some asshole samurai. Uh, before I even got a chance to meet up with people, I don't want to hang out with these bosses. I, I'm just going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these guys are jerks. Yeah. I, I really like Kunisada just showing up. With, he's he's completely past all the bullshit. He could be <laughs> friends with Ichi. He could be friends with yeah. the old lady. Yeah, totally. Not interested in dealing with any of the politics. Things got too political. And it's like, fuck this. I'm leaving town again. I, I came <laughs> here for a party. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, Anobu takes Ichi to the abandoned house that she used to live in, which becomes a very important location. I love the way she first presents it. It's like, this is my house. Oh, fuck. I forgot you can't see. <laughs> yeah, over here. This is the house I grew up in. He's like, and oh, oh, he, shit, right. No, you can't see it. Well, here, I'll take you over to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of basically reminded of what Otana used to be like. And he, he really wants to protect her. And that sort of becomes his central desire in the movie. Yeah. He, he really wants to make sure that Anobu uh, doesn't have... Uh, just like the things don't go badly for her and he kind of ultimately has to protect Sakichi as a result of that. <laughs> I can just imagine like, why couldn't you find someone to be in love with who is anyone else? Yeah, anybody. And and Sakichi well, is currently outside eavesdropping on them and uh, she finds out like she, she happens to notice him and she's gets really mad and runs off. Yeah. So this is where Sakichi and Ichi have a bit of a conversation privately. And we realize that Sakichi's like, I, I know I'm in way over my head, man. <laughs> man, I just need one guy with shipping charts to explain this all to me. And I'm sure I can get it right, but I don't even have that. He's like, look, I was an orphan and they took me in and I was a weak child. I was so weak all the time. And it was really tough growing up weak in a Yakuza society. You know, I, I never had a chance to be normal. Uh, and uh, Tanakura is also lurking nearby outside, getting a handle on whatever thing's going down. So th- this is like that previous one where we get everybody spying on everybody else and seeing what's going on yeah and then 
uh, later that night, they're going to try their hit on Sakichi. So Tanakura shows up in the forest while uh, Sakichi's walking home and he, he just kills all his guards. Yeah, they he just the guards just uh, it looks like to Sakichi, it just looks like the guards just went off to an alley and then just kind of stopped following him. Yeah, they're just it, gone now. Well, yeah, he they he kind of calls them aside and then he just gets them instantly. And then Sakichi's walking around and is like, guys, <laughs> guys, <laughs> yeah. where'd you go? Yeah, when did you break off from me, guys? I thought you were following me. And you were like the only three guys who like me. Right. And then there's kind of a really interesting and eerie scene with Tenakura basically just stalking Sakichi through the forest like some kind of predator like a panther or a lion oh yeah and, and all the other guys start showing up too right they they have just it, it is another one of these it's almost like a monty python sketch for just people popping out of bushes everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah but fortunately ichi shows up yeah ichi comes in because you know he had the heart to heart with nobu earlier and he feels bad he wants to make sure you know her boyfriend isn't just randomly murdered so he comes to guard him while pretending to be drunk and acting like there's no danger yeah yeah hey don't don't go that way just just don't go why, that way why don't you hang with me i'm gonna sing you my theme song Zato, <laughs> Zato. <laughs> yeah and and so she's like what the hell is wrong with you is like shut up just follow my lead <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no i i'm so in over my head i don't even understand that you're doing a lead for me to follow yeah he doesn't get it and they're like he finally gets them out of immediate peril and he's like okay listen yagiri's after you don't you get it <laughs> y- yagiri after yagiri? me what no and ichi finds like okay come on all the guys who are in the trees about to kill him, just step out right now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's just get this over with. Like, okay, I'm sick of this fucking ruse. Everybody just come out. And the the, the samurai, Tanakura, he just jumps out so excited to do battle. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is the, the most jazzed you've seen him the whole movie. It's like, oh man, this is my moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets Ichi. He does get Ichi, though, to his credit. Right. I mean, this is the big moment. He he gets Ichi's sword arm. He cuts him pretty bad. Yep. And then and he's like, "Well, that's all I actually wanted to do this time." Right. He's done now. He he just wanted to show that he could do it. And then Ichi just fucking kills seven dudes in an instant. <laughs> and they all <laughs> like, "Uh, we're gonna make back off. I guess we're done for tonight." Because first Yagiri is like, "Okay, well, Tanakuri, you you can take care of this." And I was like, "No, no." I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he walks away, and then Yagiri runs away like, don't you forget this, Ichi. I'll get you next time. Yeah, he's like, look, I, I'm satisfied. I, I got what I wanted. This is totally satisfying. I I won this this quick draw. It's like the other night. Now we're even. Yeah. yeah. He won the quick draw competition there. I won it this time. So, eh, let's But uh, I will be the one who kills him one day. Yeah. I'll kill him, but not right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not till the third act. Yeah, we gotta wait. Yeah. So there's a big summit of all the bosses. And they just 
except Sakichi, of course, because they've decided everything will be blamed on Sakichi. Yeah, yeah. So they're <laughs> well, Sakichi and Ichi. Ichi yeah. also deserves some blame. Yeah. So they're they're framing it like. Ichi was attacking Sakichi and the guards, but Sakichi wouldn't even draw his sword. So he just right. let these guards die, even though the guards were obviously attacking Sakichi. Right. And their thing is listen, Sakichi, Ichi has to die, or we're all going to lose face. You know, look at the, the uh, how much he's overstepped his bounds. And you're going to look weak. This is your new territory. The thing is, you have to kill Ichi or. Uh, you don't get your territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to, you can't charge protection money if you don't provide protection. That was the same thing with Boxer from Shantung, basically. Yeah. Why Tansi had to give up the territory. He's like, hey, I didn't keep it safe. I got to give it up. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, it's the, it's Sawagata who's like, okay, uh, well, I think Sakishi should get the first chance at Ichi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, I think if he doesn't, maybe he's not fit to be a boss and we take all his stuff. Yeah. And Which is what they like, wanted to do all along. So they're like, yeah. I mean, I concur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. And Sakiji's like, don't worry. Ichi's definitely going to die in the ring tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got it all sewn up. I Don't worry about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody leaves except Maki and Sakichi has like look I know Yagiri is behind all of this and it's just a power play uh, so Maki goes to Ichi and is like you should probably leave town just leave town it's gonna solve all these problems and Ichi's like I really don't think it will <laughs> yeah he's like look at all the people involved in here do you think they would all get along if I left town right now, no. It's like, look, wherever I go, I'm the god of calamity. But it's not like there wasn't calamity looming already. If I leave, all of this shit's still going to go down. I'm just going to be not involved in the finale. I want to be involved in the finale. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe by being here, I can prevent some of the innocent people from dying. Yeah, he's like, I, I, can, I can steer this as best I can. I'm better than most people at that stuff. Yeah. So Otane and Tanakura leave the inn. They they have taken off somewhere because Tanakura is supposedly done his job. Supposedly, yeah. And also Otane's like, I really want to get out of town. I I feel like everybody feels this ominous feeling. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Shimazo <laughs> is there, you know, the innkeeper, and he starts yelling at Ichi. And he's like, You can't leave without setting settling things with Sakichi. Because obviously he's he's also on the side of Yagiri. He right. wants Sakichi dead and he's got this whole beef with him and he sort of still thinks that maybe he can end up getting all the territory. That is definitely what he's hoping for. And, and I don't know how he like... feels that's going to happen exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Ichi's like, what? Settle what with Sakichi? I have no beef with this man. He's like the yeah. only one. Yeah, I, I don't understand. And so Sakichi shows up. He's like, Otane has been is being held by Yagiri at the at the uh, abandoned building uh, as bait for you. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, oh, well, what the guess hell? That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> I, I guess I got to go deal with that. I mean, you see why I can't leave town? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Anobu follows them over there. Of you course. Gotta, gotta have everybody in the in the the final location. Right. We're heading for the big third act destruction. <laughs> oh, this fight. Holy shit. Right. Sakiji takes Ichi to a trap. <laughs> yeah. And Ichi's basically aware of it. He knows that he's walking into a trap and that he's probably gonna have to have a duel. And the point at first, you know, he comes into the building and there's Tanakura there and Otane. And they're supposed to have this big duel. And Otani's like, can we please just not, please? I don't, I don't care about any of this. This is so stupid. I'm with you now, Tanakura. You don't need to be jealous. Let's just leave. We'll leave town. Actually, I'm going to get really jealous now because you don't want me to kill Ichi. So you must be in love with him. And Tanakura is like, you know, Sakichi is the one who's raised the, the, price on your head it's 300 ryo that's a lot of money man (laughs) i don't know exactly how much but 300 ryo i believe is a shitload of money it is a lot of money and anobu has been eavesdropping and she busts in and starts cursing out sakichi for it's like what the hell do you think you're doing you asshole like yeah you're, you're too lame to fight ichi and you can't get you can't go outside now because if you leave now, Yagiri is going to fucking kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Sakichi has this sinking feeling all of a sudden where he realizes the predicament he's gotten himself in. Because obviously he's not going to kill Ichi. No, God, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> but but he is expected to. And he's like, you know if you go out there, Yagiri is going to kill you. And he's like, really? Yeah, he's got <laughs> the entire place surrounded. And we, we have one of those shots where it's just a million dudes are just in every bush outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Yakuza team is great at lurking in bushes. Oh yeah, it's their fa- it's the only thing they're good at, sadly. They don't really have the... any capability of fighting once they no, get but... out of the bushes. <laughs> but they're very good at lurking. Yeah, and popping up. So Tenakura is like, none of you are good enough. <laughs> I'm the only one. I, all of you are going to fucking lose and die to this guy. <laughs> and Otane finally she's like, look, I, I'm begging you, please uh, just l- let, let this thing go down. We'll go outside. And he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to watch and wait. I'm going to watch all of you idiots get killed by him and then I'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's right. He's completely right. He he's even though he's a complete asshole, he is the most formidable villain that we've yet had in this series. Mm-hmm. So Shimazo shows up, and he he's kind of had a change of heart. You know, now that Anobu is in danger, you know she followed, and now she's in the middle of the abandoned building where all the shit's going to go down. He's like, look, I I don't care anymore. You can have all my territory. Just let Anobu go. Yeah. And uh, Yagari fucking kills him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he came with a gun. So now the bad guys have a rifle. It's like, anybody yeah. know how to use a rifle? <laughs> One guy's like, oh, hell yeah, I do. I know how. Give it to me. Yes. He's <laughs> like, oh, man, this is red. And we cut back inside and Sakichi very foolishly attempts to sneak an attack on Ichi. And... <laughs> Ichi, he, like, he's so disinterested in it. Onovu is the one who's like, you stupid idiot! Oh my god! Baka, 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 baka! 
moron. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And outside, Otane is, you know, talking to uh, Tanakuro. And like, look, Ichi is going to kill you if you hang around, and I don't want that to happen. Can we please just leave? And he gets very offended. Yeah, he's like, oh, wow, you think Ichi's better than me? You must still be in love with him. And she makes the grave error of touching his sword for an instant, and he has a total fucking meltdown. Yeah, he he, he, he slashes her. Yeah, he kills her. He kills her. So, you know, someone yells that this has happened inside, and Ichi finally rages out. Yeah. Yeah, all right, that's it. <laughs> it's like, Otane been killed by that asshole, of all yeah. things? I, uh, oh my god, and he just fucking kills everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he cuts through all of the Yakuza at the door, just without effort. They're just gone. Like, seven yeah. dudes instantly. <laughs> Nobody puts up a fight. They, they just... The the Sakichi thing becomes totally forgotten. He's just on the floor crying inside, and Anobu slaps him because she's so fed up with him. (laughs) Uh, So Ichi just, he fights his way towards the beach, because this is happening on the beach of, you know, a small, I I guess it's like... uh, Maybe it's the ocean? I don't know, we don't really get any... It's, uh, I think it's just like a little pond out behind the old house. I guess so, because, yeah, we don't really get any shots of that, we just see them wading into the the beachy waters, and just, he kills 25 dudes before he even takes his shirt off. (laughs) Yep. Just cutting through them all the way to the beach, and then he's like, okay, it's really hot. (laughs) Gets his shirt off. And then on his way over towards Otane, or not Otane, well, Otane and Tanakura. Yeah. Ten- he sees Tanakura further down the beach. He's like, oh man, I'm headed for you. And he kills like 15 more guys just on the way over there. <laughs> Effortlessly, yeah. like they're they're just on his way and they all have swords and are like, they figure they're in a fight with him. And he's just like, no, no, <laughs> you're, you're out of the way, like the grass. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's like uh it's like those dynasty warrior games where you swing your sword once and like 20 people go down. <laughs> yeah. He's basically killed 40 dudes without any effort. Finally all of the rest of them flee in terror. Yeah. A, a solid 40 dead bodies littering the beach. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so finally Ichi and Tanakura face off. It's pretty classic, you know, the beach duel is sort of one of the the major types you you have the duel in the snow you have the duel yep. in the temple you have the duel on a beach uh, uh you, you've the probably bamboo seen... field duel oh yeah uh samurai the samurai trilogy it's just called like samurai one two and three one of those has no, I an incredible beach duel at Ooh. the end i think it's the second one i love the cherry blossom falling leaves duel oh yeah i mean that's a classic and often uh, will we'll you get some snow with that? You know the spring. Oh snow. yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So you but know, the class- beach duels what we get today. Right, pretty classic. Uh, obviously, Ichi wins. This is the fourth entry, <laughs> but he has to work for it this time. He has to work for it. His sword gets broken. Yep, but <laughs> we've never seen this before. He's got another hidden blade in his sword, a secret little hidden knife in the top, and he he gets that and very bloody. Uh, 
thrusts that up and gets him just like big splatter of blood. Mm-hmm. And Tenakuru, just like an asshole to the very end, dying. He's like, the trap was a, was a Tane's idea. She's the one who sold you out. <laughs> and she was smiling when I killed her. Which we know is all false. At least yeah. the, the, the final part. And he's like, Ichi as well is like, man, fuck you. You're just trying to, even as you're dying, you need to continue to be an asshole. I hate you so much. And Ichi's like, you deserve this, and he dies. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Do you think Otane did put him up to this? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't believe that. I, I, I... do believe that she was interested in the bounty, but I also, like, she was begging him to leave. She felt that he was not good enough and his w- would get killed by Ichi, as he did. Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot... I wasn't thinking about that part because yeah. I had thought like I had thought maybe because of how like how she reacted and how like incredibly upset she got. Like I thought maybe she was like guilty because she set this trap for Ichi when he was like, no, you're still the same beautiful girl. It's like, no, I'm not. Give up on me. Uh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I no, I don't think so because she's like, we need to leave because he's going to kill you. I don't want you to yeah. die to, uh, during this. And that's what makes him so mad. And I think it's him still trying to massage his ego as he dies. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that I've talked it out, I agree with you. I don't think she, I don't think she did. Yeah. I, I was 50 50 before, but now you're right. No, I don't yeah. think so. So Maki and Sakichi both show up and they're like, we're sorry. We're so sorry. This this has been fucking stupid. I I Mackie's like I wish you'd been my son. <laughs> yeah, you, you you are obviously so much better than my real son who you killed, and I kind of wish you could just replace him. And Ichi's like he calls her mom, which is very sweet. Ah, and yeah, yeah. The last three people who are alive yeah. in the town meet up. It's like okay. You know, he, he gives her a hug, calls her his mother, and he, he makes Nobu and Sakichi hold hands like, look, if if nothing else comes of this, at least you two stay together. I, you know, this has been a disaster and I feel really bad about everything. Like, you two just stay together, please. Something yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe stop being a Yakuza, although you don't really have a gang anymore to be a Yakuza of. Yeah, he's like, I, I wish you guys luck. Yeah. Uh, just best of luck. I, I took care of most of the people who were opposing you. They're all dead. You're going to have a whole lot of funerals to deal with. I'm, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. But as he leaves, he dances away. It's, it's a very beautiful kind of ending. He's laughing and dancing as he walks away with the party crowd. Cause you know, this is the festival that just ended. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, dan- the festival music is still going and he's dancing and following you know the festival line yeah people with lanterns and everybody just kind of he he catches up with other people celebrating and dancing and he kind of blends in with the crowd yeah and that is the end and you know next one will be zadoichi on the road obviously (laughs) i want to imagine that it's just like a bunch of short stories of him dancing on the road and shit happens around him so I, have I don't know seen, what it's really about. I have seen it before, and I have a vague recollection of it. And it's essentially like this: this is the last one that I recall seeing that is continuity based. 
from this point forward, it's just kind of the adventures of Ichi. And he's on the road and he's just like, you know, a, a traveler and he meets this girl who's in trouble and he helps her. It's it's very, very One stripped down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And especially just stripped down, straightforward, and like, yeah, he needs to help this girl who is in trouble. Well, that sounds that sounds cool. Maybe uh, maybe there will be another samurai who's making her be in trouble. I maybe they'll have to have a duel. So uh, he it's it's another thing where he just finds himself in a situation where there's a whole turf war going down, and he gets in the middle of it. And he probably kills forty five guys at the end. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's kind of the thing he does. Uh, yeah. This is one, my understanding, where he's very much perfectly heroic and there's no real collateral damage type stuff going on there. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he usually, because yeah, usually he does have to deal with Fallout. Yeah, and this one kind of, it's just, this one, it's just, I mean, you know, Otane is is obviously taken out in it, and that's pretty big collateral damage for him. Uh, and yeah, th- this one just has that real sense of doom that's really pervasive in it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting because her, if he hadn't left that first town, her life would have been completely different. Or if he had just tried to take her with him, uh, oh, yeah, a- allowed has- to go because she was trying to. Yeah, that's right. She did end up leaving town, and it just didn't go great for her. She ended up with a shitty samurai. And like, if he had kept her with him, maybe things wouldn't have been as bad for both of them. But he maybe. tried to do the great power, great responsibility thing. It's like, I can't be with you because my life is too dangerous. And like, well, she just ended up with a different dangerous guy then, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, this one's interesting. I feel like it is sort of underappreciated because it is very much about the psychology of the character. There's not a lot of action until the end. Not really, no. There, there's a couple of scenes, but... But, yeah, I mean, no. that, that ending where he fucking murders 45 dudes, <laughs> that, that is impressive. <laughs> it's awesome. It rules. Just cuts um, through everyone. The guy with the gun ends up being a non-issue. Oh, yeah. He shoots into the building a bunch of times without... You know they're they're in the building. He's just trying to shoot through the wall at them. Uh, he can't they, see they them. They run out of ammo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know everyone ducks for a moment because it's like, well, a gun is something that you can't really be fast enough as a samurai to deal with. But you know Unless he runs you're out an of bullets. Anime samurai. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe later on, Ichi might be maybe. able to deal with guns too. We'll maybe. see. Maybe. I, I had actually forgotten that there were guns until uh, the innkeeper came out with one and was like, oh yeah, right. Guns exist, but they're like the super secret ultra weapon at this point. Yeah, pretty rare. Like, uh, yeah. not something that a lot of people have yet. Yeah, well, like, two and three, I don't think had guns. No, I don't think so. Uh, very, very uncommon in the series. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of a rule breaker. It doesn't fit in a sword fight. Yeah, which, uh, well... It, it, well, that's what happened. It kind of broke the whole sam- the samurai class, or was one of the things that contributed to it. Right, which is why Battles with Outer Honor and Humanity, we're seeing the new version of the Yakuza, which is a very different breed, a mutant breed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you have any last thoughts on Zatoichi the Fugitive before we continue to part two? Uh, no, I think we've about covered it. I... I liked this one a lot. Um, mm. I think it's my 
Probably my third favorite after the 2003 one and the first one. I can see that. Yeah, I, I think maybe I, I probably around the same. Obviously, the first one is better than uh, the others we've watched so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first, yeah, because the first one was all, they were just kind of hanging out until they fought. Yeah. That was neat. It, it was fun. A very good establishment of the character and all, all of the stuff. But yeah, uh, uh, the the couple in between, they have sort of been finding their feet because they're making these so fast. <laughs> yeah, like they've been making them faster than we've been covering them. We've been doing the oh, yeah. podcast for two years. Uh, it was our first episode and we're now on four. Uh, they, <laughs> the fourth one only came out like a one year after the first one did. Right, because the first one was in 62. We're up to the fourth entry, and it's only 63. Uh, yeah, and I, I was looking, I think 12 is like 68. Right, something they, like they that. Keep all, they keep this pace up for a long time. Because, yeah, uh, I mean, we're... Let me look at the list here. Uh, there... Yeah, I mean, it's still... Number eight is still 1964. So eight <laughs> movies shit. in the first two years. Number nine is sixty-four. Yeah. Oh my it's, god. It's the tenth film is in sixty-five. So it, within three years, ten movies. So that's more than three a year. That's three point three. That's that's insanity. Yeah, very fast. Uh, Holy shit. You you got to take a look at the uh, cover, the the poster art for Zatoichi and the Doomed Man. By the way. That's the one with the cool name that I was thinking of. That sounds like a comic book. Yeah, and look at the comic book art on the poster for that one when you get a chance. It's really funny. Oh, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll drop it into the chat real quick. Do you have access to it? Can you open it? Uh, I'm, I think I'm pulling. I don't know if I'm pulling it up or not. I think the call has to end for me to see the chat. I don't know how it works. Oh, okay. I see. That's oh, hold on. Oh, there... no, I see it. I found it. I just had to click on an arrow. Oh. And all right. Is that <laughs> <a> we... <laughs> oh, it looks like, it looks like, like a Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> it's so cute because we, we've got Ichi massaging someone who looks startled. Like, uh-oh, something's going on here. And there's like, an angry older lady with a fan in the in the background and some younger lady laughing at the door. It looks really cute. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like something you'd see in like a Sunday paper and there'd be like a caption. Um, I don't know what the caption would be, but <laughs> I yeah. love this. Yeah, it's really cute. Apparently, this is one where Ichi is in jail. Uh, uh, accused for a murder that he didn't commit <laughs> not in jail for the murders he did commit Those yeah, I mean, he's, he's committed some murders yeah he has i mean you don't have to frame him for murder yeah You've done it so i mean that's all that's that's number 11 but it's still 1965 so oh my fuck we'll get there <laughs> uh uh, all right, well, do you have any last thoughts on Zatoichi the Fugitive before we head on to part two? No, I'm good. <laughs> right on. And we're back for our second part, where we're talking about The Man on the Roof, a 1976 Swedish film from director Bo Widerberg. 
I cannot believe this movie was made in 1976. This movie feels like it came out specifically in 2023, not just like modern like now, but in this era of policing. Yeah. It it feels like it it's gonna come out in 2024. It's crazy how modern this movie looks, feels, and just generally is. Like the writing, the acting, just the the visual style, the cinematography is crisp, beautiful. Oh yeah. Like we we've talked about I don't know if we have on the show, but we have talked about other movies that are kind of ahead of their time mm-hmm. in terms Certainly. of policing, but this this one is I keep forgetting that it's not a period piece made this year. Yeah, it feels said, extremely new. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, they said it in 1976 so that the police SWAT team didn't just annihilate the guy instantly. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's just very much uh, a, a very well-observed police film. And it's very political in nature, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, Bo Weiderberg is a pretty political director. You mentioned that you'd watched the introduction where he kind of talks about that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. He he talks a little bit about it. He's he's introducing it as though he's talking to the children who might who would be watching. Uh, the way he <laughs> says it, like uh, you know, if you're a nine year old watching this and your parents don't really care what you do, and you happen to be watching this film, well, just so you know, there's going to be a lot of violence really fast. Here's why it's this violent, right? It, it's a uh, it, it is political, and uh, he has a point of view that he's actively exploring with the movie, uh, which is cool. Uh, you, you don't really get that with police films in the seventies all that often. You know, you you have like the Death Wish stuff, <laughs> but yeah. you, you're not usually <laughs> examining policing in quite the same way in the seventies. Yeah, no, you were celebrating your trigger happy super cops back then. Yeah, typically, because um, you know uh, the the French Connection is a movie that this was heavily inspired by, uh, and the French Connection is based on a real police detective in the U.S. Oh. Uh, where uh, have you ever seen the French Connection? I haven't. Uh, it's about this really famous bust, this really huge, uh, I think, heroin bust or something. Uh, at the time, the most the, the biggest bust of all time, I think, at, at that point. this is, The movie came out in like 71. Right, right. Uh, and Gene Hackman plays this character, Popeye Doyle, who was <laughs> this real cop who was just this legend. Uh, and there's another movie about him. Uh, I think The Seven Ups, where Roy Scheider plays him. Oh. Which is awesome. Really good movie. Okay, cool. Uh, so this movie, uh, you know, it uh explicitly takes a lot of influence from the style of the french connection which has sort of a documentary approach where it's not giving you a lot of uh exposition it's just sort of living in the milieu of the time and you really experience the police procedure as it actually happens not in sort of a hollywoodized way where they're explaining to you what's happening yeah yeah it's more like they you're watching them come up with the ideas rather than like like through a natural discussion rather than mm. them being we will find this by running this prince through this thing and that thing and then enhance enhance yeah it <laughs> it, it feels very organic mm-hmm. uh like documentary style a lot of the time and it's very compressed as well in this case just uh you know it, it all takes place over the course of a single day which 
it feels like it takes longer because because a lot really happens they they take these these cops go to a lot of places they move around they are busting their ass trying to find this guy i think that's maybe the most interesting thing about the movie is it's kind of a defund argument it's showing these are parts of policing that are important and necessary and could maybe use better and more resources and these are parts of policing that are antagonistic to the populace and cause more problems than they're worth. <laughs> yeah, like uh, explicitly explicitly, all the military tactics that they use do not work. Yeah, and it's also all of this happens because of excessive force and a bad cop who did a stupid thing and didn't bother to uh, go by the book and didn't bother to... Uh, check the important things and just you know threw someone in a cell without thinking about it yeah and that's also interesting even though we know that the cop is a piece of shit cop the story that kicks it off is a story of negligence not a story of being a piece of shit cop i mean it's It's a bit of both it's an accident well okay yeah yeah you're right there is it's negligent it, it is active negligence. It, it is yeah. just him being a person who terrorizes a community as a police officer rather than someone who aids it. Uh, it, it is an explicitly like when when we get to that one cop who we both love, uh, who is just <laughs> so angry and so fucking tired of it and who had worked with this guy and it was a shame to have worked with him and hit him just like. He's a lousy cop. He was the worst cop. You understand that the problem is not just that he was a cop, but that he was a really bad one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I like all the characters in this. All the cops, even the ones that that don't get as much screen time, like the the secondary cops, they're all kind of fun in their own way. Like Ron, who gets progressively, progressively tireder and more disheveled as it goes as the story goes on, because he's been up since 8 a.m. the night before. Aina Ron. Uh, yeah, the I, I think that's one of my favorite elements of this movie, is that the detectives are so sleep-deprived, because this murder happens while they're the, the main guy, Ron, specifically, is near the end of his shift, and it's yeah. late night, and then he's kind of still on it, and then he, you know, the the our main guy, Martin Beck, who's, I guess, the main guy from the the series of novels when he shows up and they, they have that discussion. It's like, well, do you think we should just push on through? Cause you know, a lot of the first, you know, a lot of the important discoveries are made right away. You know, I feel like we should just push through with this tonight. <laughs> and Ron's just like, Oh my God, I know you're right, but I hate this. <laughs> yeah. And they're both just so sleep deprived by the time things escalate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting way to put them uh, at a disadvantage. Yeah, and we do have also our Kohlberg. Uh, he's he's my favorite, probably. Our kind yeah. of a Serpico. Yeah, I really like Kohlberg. He's definitely my favorite character in this. Uh, he's just sick of it. He, he's like, I've been telling people for years that this guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been saying, man. Well, weren't there any reports? No, there were reports. Don't you understand? We've been ignoring the reports because we're the cops and that's what we do and we are bullshit. Yeah. So, like, apparently part of the reason all of these characters are pretty deep and have a lot of life to them is that all of them are regular characters in the novels. Like, it's it's a whole tapestry of characters 
that regularly appear there. So for instance, uh, Kohlberg is in them. Larson is in them. Ron <laughs> is in them. I refer to Larson as uh, Kohlberg's baby with the one eyebrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we never find out why they hate each other, but boy, they do. Oh, they hate each other so much. <laughs> they, some they'll still some existing bad blood. Oh, yeah. they have to. Yeah, they Although, yeah. Uh, I, I do hate that one guy. There There is that one guy who is clearly the other bad cop. And he's like, I defend the being a bad cop. I, I think we're <laughs> the best cops, in fact. Uh, Nazi face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's got like a Hitler haircut. Oh, he, he is a complete asshole. Yeah, he ends up being one of the heroes who saves the day at the end. Well, well kind of not. I in mean, the party. He's present and he is a problem at the end who has yeah. to be stopped from going too far, which is his yes. whole problem, which is the exact problem that started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So why don't we get into it? We've got our killer who we're not going to learn for quite a while, but his name is uh, Ake Erickson. Yeah, although it's interesting. That, that's one thing that's really kind of cool about this as a police procedural in terms of the psychology of a mass killer, uh, something that i think they do extremely well mm. uh is, is that it's not hard to follow the trail of this sort of person <laughs> they find him <laughs> nope. very quickly they're like okay we're we're on the trail of the right guy within like the first hour like they find it very very quickly oh yeah yeah they're the only like, trouble is they can't get a hold of him <laughs> yeah and then but he shows up again and it's no, he a problem. shows up yeah exactly he's the it's man a... on the roof yeah, he is the man on the roof. Uh, I guess I guess let's get this out of the way, too. This movie might be the first one I've ever seen that has a real... What I think is probably... I mean, I've never been involved in one, thank God. But a realistic depiction of what a mass shooting would be like. Yeah, I feel like everything about this is extremely well observed in terms of both the criminal psychology and the way the mass shooting goes down and the way people react on the ground, both in terms of the civilians and the authorities. Yeah, like how everybody's, well, we'll get to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But but that was one of the things I thought was like, you actually maybe couldn't make this movie in 2023 because <laughs> it's not time to politicize the mass shootings. We just uh, had one. Well, I I feel like you absolutely could uh, still in Sweden or oh, sure. the UK or uh, most countries. Yeah, just I, if, not in. Uh... Yeah, if you like, I don't feel like an American movie would do this this year, but I feel like any other country would. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, uh, we don't start with our bad shooting. We actually start five minutes in with a horrific act of violence extremely gruesome murder that we see very little of but just enough to see that it's grisly oh yeah one thing that this movie does man this movie does everything that it attempts to do really well but mm. one thing it does really well is uh shows you just enough of the murder scene you'd never see enough to see anything and you'd never hear all the explicit details but you can imagine it well, it's super gory, but we're not seeing it straight on. We're just seeing all the blood and gore around it, and we're seeing how the police, the seasoned police, and of course, the classic rookie puking in the corner. <laughs> you, you gotta have one. <laughs> <laughs> Is it always like this, sir? I've been on the force for 20 years. It's never been this bad. 
Yeah, <laughs> like this is pretty bad. So the we we see this POV with uh, uh, Aki uh, bust. He climbs into this guy's hospital room. He is on he a defibrillator. Is, the guy is on circling the drain to begin with. He is dying. Nobody. Yeah, that's that's the thing. When he, they find out that he dies, all his family and friends are like, "Oh yeah, well, yeah. we knew it was happening." Yeah, I mean, it was coming in like, no, no, you don't understand. He was gruesomely murdered. Like, what? What? Why? <laughs> we thought he he was about to die. We figured he was just, you know, it was just the time. Like, no, no, they, a, a dude busted in his hotel room and stabbed him in the face a bunch of times with a bayonet. <laughs> yeah, we we do actually see the first stab yeah, the first of the bayonet strike. go into his mouth. Yeah, and just Which... a huge fountain of blood hits the floor. Yeah, and then we see the POV with him like slipping on the blood. And he he has no chance. Yeah, and then him just the 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 killer going at him again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, this just is bayoneting a... him really. Yeah. It's it's personal. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a vengeance crime. This is yeah, yeah, unambiguously a personal attack. Mm-hmm. We cut to our main man, Martin Beck, at home. Uh, building his little model ship and having a conversation with his daughter about how, hey, you used to you used to be really proud of me for being a cop. And she's like, well, eh, that's before I so learned much. about cops. I grew yeah. up, dad. I don't yeah. idolize cops because I'm not a child anymore. Uh, this is, yeah, again, very modern. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I feel that's also uh, cyclical. This is a thing that was bigger in the 70s where uh there was a lot of backlash to it, but then the eighties really idolized police, at least oh, in North American filmmaking. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't come back around to being anti-cops until probably around the two thousands ish. I mean, there, there were elements of it, but yeah, it, it just became uh Hollywood sort of closed ranks in the Reagan era and became much more conservative in terms of, uh, being on the side of, well, I mean, you know, uh, justice and don't s- and, and say no to drugs and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's Martin Beck. His wife is just popping pills. We don't really find out about his home life. Uh, I mean, there's a whole thing probably in the books. Probably, probably. But uh, as soon as he catches this case, it's the only thing he has time for. Uh, but the first one to catch this case is poor Detective Ron. This poor Einar, man, Einar Ron. Uh, I, I, it's R. It, it's got a an umlaut over the O, so it's like an Ron, Ron. kind of thing. Ron. Oh, I'm uh, so bad with these. Yeah, I know. It's it's a tough one. Uh, but yeah, he is. He's his partner. Yep. And uh, he's just he's tired. It's the end of his shift. It's like bringing out the dead. Yeah, he's putting on his hat and his coat. He's about to go home, and it's like, "Hey, you got one more. It just came in." Like you, you know the the Nick Cage movie, Bringing Out the Dead, right? Yeah. Oh the, yeah. When uh, when uh, I can't uh, Patricia Arquette's character is talking to him about the doctor who's taking care of her parent who's in the hospital. It's like, what's with this doctor? He seems like he's out of it. And he keeps like pinching the bridge of his nose. And, uh Kate's like, oh, he's working a double shift. (laughs) 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 
that's that is what Ron is dealing with. He's having mm-hmm. a really fucking long day. Oh yeah. Well, by the time by the time this case is resolved, he's been awake for about thirty six hours just doing cop shit. Yeah, and he is like he, there is a point where he grays out for a little bit in the middle of the day when they're waiting somewhere to talk to someone. Yeah, he he just. He falls in and out of consciousness as it goes on. As you would. (laughs) Knowing, like, as someone with insomnia and has has experienced this sort of thing, yeah, you just kind of gray out there here and there sometimes. Yeah, so he's already at a huge disadvantage when it comes to figuring out this case. And then he gets there. And it's... Brutal. it's disgusting they're they're you have the rookie who's throwing up and everyone's mm-hmm. like and it's like so we know this is a police guy uh that does open it up to meaning there's could be any number of people do, do anyone know about this particular cop? and it's like no i don't know just seems like another cop yep just <laughs> uh oh i didn't really know him no no actually none of the people who worked with him you know do anything about him he was fine. He was ordinary. He's good. Which, yeah, until they get back to the office and they talk to uh, uh, Kohlberg. Yeah, Kohlberg. <laughs> Kohlberg has, like, he's like, hey. He has opinions. Listen, yeah, like, uh, listen, what kind of cop was uh, uh, our, it's Stig, right? Yeah, Stig Nyman is our Stig victim. Stig Nyman, yeah. Uh, Officer Nyman, what, what kind of cop was he? In, uh, uh, back- detective? But he's a detective is like, no, no, you know what I'm talking about. And like, he he was a bad cop. Lousy cop. Fucking <laughs> lousy cop. I am ashamed to have worked in the same city at the same time as him. And he's just he's, going off. He is like waiting for him to like admit that he was a bad cop. It's like, yes, exactly. He was the worst fucking cop. I was saying it for years. Don't you get it? Yeah, they're like, well, if this is all true, wouldn't have there been reports? Yes, there are reports, and we swept them under the rug. Yeah, there's plenty of reports. You can find it if you read between the lines. Here, look at all of these suits that were brought against him that were dismissed, even though people, you know, you can see that people are like, yeah, we don't feel that this was great, but we do find this to be a good shooting kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they're and then they're like, "Hey, well, maybe one of these people who filed these reports is the guy is our killer." And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, that seems pretty likely." And of course, indeed it is. It is, yes. Well, uh, I guess the biggest thing is that Erickson turns out to also have been a cop. He yeah, he was a cop. Uh him Col- I don't know if he served in the military. So Kohlberg and uh, Nyman served in the military together before becoming cops. Right. Uh, Erickson was also in the military, but I don't know if he was with those two. I think Erickson and Larson all were. Oh, I think okay. all of them served in the military and maybe like, I don't know if they necessarily were, were in the same unit, but I think all of them were sort of aware of each other at the time and then are all aware of each other later on. And obviously like Larson and and Nyman are like in together. Those those dudes are buds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and everybody else hates him. Mm-hmm. We've got our uh, we've got Nyman's second in command, Sergeant Holt, our Nazi face guy. Ugh. 
Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm not, not Larson. Uh, Holt is who I'm talking about. Right. Uh, who just is uh, uh, the the creepy asshole who is just besties with Nyman. Yeah. Like his whole thing. Uh, Beck visits him uh, in the middle of his day on his day off and he's sitting in his house with his cop uniform on. Yeah, in his uniform and just the stiffest, most unpleasant man who just has uh, just so repellent in every way. Just incredibly repellent presence. And uh, Beck talks to him about uh, the other guy and he's like, well, I think he was the greatest cop who ever lived uh, and you should have more cops like me and him because we're tight and we're the best and uh, nobody understands us. It's like, okay, well, uh, there's someone out there maybe killing shitty cops, so maybe you should watch yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. After he gives like this whole basically master race speech about cops. Yeah. It's like, well, not that you have to worry about it being a hero (laughs) cop and all, but there's someone (laughs) killing shit cops. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it, by the way, he got murdered last night, and it seems like it was really personal, and you were involved in all of his shit, so just letting you know, I mean, you probably don't have anything to worry about, right? Especially if you're as good as you say you are. Like, he starts listing off all the stuff that uh, Nyman was charged with. Like, my favorite is, he initiated a proposal to allow cops to run over protesters with their bikes. Of course, yeah. And Holt sounds like, about right. I don't. Know and Holt's anything. like, yeah. Holt's like, well, yeah. I think that's a pretty good proposal. <laughs> <laughs> it was rejected because the higher ups were worried that the cops would could fall off the bikes and get hurt. <laughs> of course, that sounds that tracks. That that does track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Holt's like. I have to go. I'm suddenly on duty, it turns out. <laughs> it's like, I have to go now. <laughs> and I, I feel like he does have a pretty good idea that it's probably Erickson already. Oh, he must. He must. Because it's someone who they worked with. It's someone who he knows has it out for him. I mean, I'm sure his mind is alive with all the many possibilities of people they had screwed in the past. But you also have to think about how many of them are not in jail from mm-hmm. being screwed by them yeah or or how many of them have just like died over the years or or, or died moved... of being screwed by them. yeah well, that, and, that too and it turns it's, out this is sort of the problem yeah as as they go down the list ron wrote ron finds out that some are dead and some right. are in jail yeah, a few of them, uh, a number yeah. of them. So they're able to cross some names off pretty quickly. And it's not long before they end up with the right guy. And they do follow the thread very quickly to Erickson. Uh-huh. Uh, I love <laughs> I love the bit where uh, Beck is talking to Nyman's wife. And the wife is like, you know that this is now the fifth time you've talked to us? It, <laughs> that you've yeah. talked to me in 12 hours? And <laughs> I counted it. And it is, in fact, he talks to her five times. Yeah, because he she's the first person he goes to yeah. after uh, seeing the gruesome body. He goes there, and it's her and her son in his like he, he's he's kind of he he feels like it's it's a mother boy situation. He feels oh, like he's God. got uh, he, he looks like he's <laughs> dressed up like Buster in a costume, like a uniform. I never thought about that, but I'm thinking about it now. 
<laughs> and you know he comes in and he's very official and uh, they're going through the thing it's like do you think maybe the the kid could step up for a second because uh i i gotta tell you some stuff that's kind of messed up <laughs> also maybe take a sedative you're gonna need it yeah yeah and the kid's like can you go fetch your mother a sedative and like oh yeah absolutely i can i know how to do that <laughs> it's a regular occurrence <laughs> but yeah, yeah he's... I, I i really love that uh, discussion like so the thing is he didn't just die of the thing he was dying of though I'm like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> old man bad cop karma disease and it it is interesting that they're both totally shocked that he had enemies. Yeah, like that's Holt is evasive, but they actually, I think they really thought he was a good cop. Yeah, because they only got his perspective of his policing, and we know that, like, we know that people who are abusers will hide their abusive side in different situations. Like, abusive husbands won't be like that at work. Or yeah, shitty cops is, might mean, not be like that at home. It, it kind of varies, but he it certainly has an outlet. Uh, uh, so that, that and it, I, I feel like he's very similar to uh, uh, Holt because Holt is also completely confident in himself as a hero cop. Uh, it it doesn't matter the stuff that he's done or the people that he's brutalized because those are the bad guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They they probably <laughs> deserved it. So she's kind of gotten that perspective of it, and she doesn't know about any complaints against him because he probably never told her any of that. Oh, we God, do no. learn that he's extremely secretive, and mm-hmm. nobody knew about him being sick other than her. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, because it turns out that Holt actually asked her about uh, the night of the murder, asked her about which room, hospital room the uh, he was staying in. Right, that is kind of surprising. Just a weird coincidence, as it turns out. Uh, not even. It was uh, Erickson phoning her up and pretending oh, right. to be Holt. Right. That's right. Because he comes back to, or uh, Beck finally asks him about that. And he's like, what? Yeah, I didn't phone her. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, this guy used your name. Yeah. Oh. Erickson called pretending to be you and like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I love the scene where they're waiting on something to happen. So Beck goes to the spa <laughs> while, oh, yeah. Ron is, while Ron is writing out his reports. He's like, did you get a massage? He's like, yeah. man, I've had, I'm having a long day here. <laughs> I'm like drinking shitty coffee here and you're at the spa. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, I admit I, I had a massage. You should well, get one Ron- too. <laughs> yeah, Ron also has is the one who's working a double shift and has been up all night. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like Beck has already has like Beck woke up like twelve hours after Ron did, and then has only been working for maybe about five hours at this point. Poor Ron. It's fun because I my my understanding is Carl uh, Gustav Lindstedt who plays Beck. Uh, was a comedic actor up until this point. He was pretty much always a comedic guy, and he brings kind of a real genial energy to the character, even though he's very serious and it's a very serious movie. Yeah, he's got, like, sweet dad energy. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because, yeah, he was primarily a comedian, and apparently the director, Weiderberg, 
uh, saw him on a talk show and he was, he was looking really serious on the talk show and he just decided to uh, hire him. <laughs> hey, it works. He, he pulls it, it works. Off. He's, he's fucking great. I really like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of skipping around with the investigation, but that's because it all happens. Like it, it's all kind of fragmented. Well, yeah, but, it's it's that uh, the the insomnia thing where they're kind of drifting from place to place, and you have these weird sort of blank out periods where they're like, "Oh, what are we? Where where are we next?" And they're they go to the same place and they go back and they keep re- retracing their steps. Yeah, and it's but, like, like it says, they, you says he talked to that lady five five times. times yeah, and like yeah, yeah, I'm we're sort of going in circles here. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what, where they do end up going is uh, Erickson's parents' house. Right. And they are hostile. They, they're <laughs> For hostile-ish. They, 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 do invite, they do invite them in. They do give them all the info, but they're also very like, they're hey, angry. Don't, don't go up into his room. No, don't, don't do all this. Uh, yeah. And th- they tell him like, hey, you guys are the reason why he lost his wife and why he's going to lose his kid. Yeah, you guys ruined his whole life. The The police destroyed him and he was one of you. Uh, yeah. We never liked him being police. They're, they're clearly very anti-police as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it sort of, we, we get the whole story ultimately that his wife, uh, Maria or Marja, had diabetes. Yeah. And uh, she was found out on the street in a diabetic coma. Yeah, they thought she was drunk. Uh, Nyman ordered them to stuff her in the drunk tank, did not search her possessions because she had the emergency card that says, hey, I have diabetes. If I'm found in a coma, here's what you do. She had that. Yeah, she had that. He just he didn't bother. He just threw her in the drunk tank because, you know, he's a tough guy and he he gets things done. So she dies. And of course, Erickson, who's on the police, freaks out and he becomes super rigid cop for a little while until everybody gets sick of him and he gets fired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then it turns out because of all the shit that's happened in his life since then, uh, child protective services got called on him for his daughter. And they, before taking the daughter away, they contacted all his former employers, including the police department. And who did they talk to? But Nyman. And Nyman gave him like, he badmouthed him, obviously, because yeah. oh, Nyman's yeah. a fucking dickhole. So now uh, he's not going to have his kid. Yeah, so he he's like legitimately ruined this guy's life, and he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously Erickson is our guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously it's Erickson. And as they're, it's right around when they realize it, or actually when the parents tell them about the guns that he owns. And they, they go up to his room and they find his plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his uh, crossword puzzle of crazy with all the names yeah. of all the cops he's going to take down, including, of course, Stig Nyman, of course. Right. And for some reason, and we don't find Martin out Beck. why, Martin Beck, if yeah, he specifically I guess just, wants to take him. I, I think it's just because he's like the head guy. <laughs> yeah, or, or like like the face because he he shows up on the news reports too and he he gives briefings to the press and all that yeah because we know he didn't actually know erickson or even i mean it seems like he was vaguely aware of uh uh nyman but yeah not not all that aware of him no they were in different precincts 
and different spheres, like a different, yeah. total, totally different type of cop. Mm-hmm. But as we find out that he had an automatic rifle that, you know, we just haven't seen it, but we're sure he has a license for it. Uh, right. And ca- so, yeah, uh, he opens fire on the investigation. <laughs> which yeah. It, that's kind of the really brilliant element of this movie is uh, that he's done this. He 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 kills this guy and then he goes home and he goes to sleep yeah. and then he waits for the investigation to get into full swing and everybody is there and it's been all night. So they're tired. And then he comes back and starts picking them off. Well rested himself. Yep. And uh, interesting. We don't ever see his face until the very, very last shot of the film. Right. We don't necessarily know that it is Erickson until the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just, I mean, we're assuming we're because sure. it is, but yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he opens fire like the whole square, like the the this whole block has to be kind of shut down. We've got the initial chaos is just so harrowing to watch because at this point we don't know what his mo is. So we've got all these like children hiding behind cop cars. Uh, yeah, we don't know if he's necessarily only aiming at police. He could just be aiming at everyone, like a lot of mass shooters. Yeah. So, but but he does only take out police. He gets a couple cops right away, and one of them rolls into uh, a a large planter. It's like <laughs> it's like a it looks like a fountain, but it has grass rather than water, or or like a bush, like yeah. a really big ornamental bush, but huge one. And he rolls down into the center of that shot, and there's like. A kid on a tricycle, like a, a toddler who rides up and is like, what are you doing, sir? Yeah, this like, get part, out of here. Go, go. This part, oh my God, had me on the edge of my seat because it's just like, it's completely quiet. There's no movement at all. And just this kid with his little tricycles riding up is like, oh, no, no, come on, no. It's very, yeah, uh, it's tense. You know that it could go in any direction. And like, he takes out a lot of people. There's, there's the... Also, our uh, uh, Kohlberg. No, no, Larson. Larson. Larson is there with. He's with Kohlberg. He is with Kohlberg. The two of them, even though they did, they don't see eye to eye, but because one of them's you know the the tough cop who you know kicks down doors and shit, and, <laughs> and the other's like Serpico. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kohlberg, like, let's just take uh, take it easy here. So the two of them are sort of forced to take shelter together. Yeah, and uh, Larson and... gets grazed. Right. And they 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 do like a whole bunch of interesting stuff in the background and they're like finding their way into buildings and, you know, dressing up as uh, as doctors (laughs) and stuff. Yeah, they do eventually find out that he's only targeting the cops. Uh, Ron and Beck are actually still at uh, Erickson's parents house while all this is happening and they only find out. I really like the cut back to them where they're just like. One of the, they're both half asleep. I think one of them is kind of dozing, and the other one is very slowly talking. And like, they, then they find the murder crossword and all of that. And like, oh shit, we better look into this. And then they call in and like, what's going on downtown? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So Beck Beck shows up and is like, okay, yeah, this guy is ninety nine percent sure he's going to be Erickson. Uh, he has an American assault rifle. Uh, he's got all this other shit, and uh, 
and he's a and, really good shot and we're probably screwed. Yeah, he's extremely well trained. This was the thing he was really good at on the force. He was an expert sharpshooter. So trying to pick him off is going to be a stupid thing, but we've got the mayor, right? It is the mayor or is he just like I don't know the... if he's the mayor or the chief. I, I couldn't figure it out. He's... I guess he's is it Malm? Is that his name? Uh, I I don't I don't actually know. Uh, I didn't uh, write it. Uh, Stig Akamalm uh, is, is the chief superintendent of police. Oh, okay. I kind of suspect he is the one who's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> sends in his uh, guy hanging off a helicopter. Oh, that that scene. Yeah, his his whole thing is like, we have to give him a chance to surrender first. Mm-hmm. So he goes up with his bullhorn and is like, hey, this is so-and-so of the police. Please surrender and don't kill anymore. And he responds by shooting someone. Yeah. Uh, another uh, cop gets yeah. shot. Yeah. So yeah, they, they call in the SWAT team. They're debating calling in like like the army. Uh, and they, they do. They get their helicopters. Or but the SWAT they, team helicopters. It's also like, well, what is the army going to do? bomb the building yeah they, they can't do anything that we can't yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they, so, they're obviously not going to drop a bomb on him so yeah they they get this their sharpshooter dangling from the helicopter and he gets shot instantly and immediately and they're just like flying around a corpse yeah they're oh my god but it's like yeah. It's like the corpse tour. He, he, they have to take him on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, because he's shooting at the helicopters. He he does shoot yeah. one down, and it explodes. Yeah, yeah pretty rad, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, since that didn't work, Beck's like, okay, you know what? This is a one-man job, and I'm the one man for it. Well, because he's the main character. I do feel like the... <laughs> It it has a lot of that Jaws energy of him's like, no, no, I've got this. We're not going to shut down the beaches. And then, you know, he sends up his guy and he gets shot and he's like, well, <laughs> maybe I can buy your boat. I'll pay for your expedition after all. <laughs> so Beck's got like this whole plan. He's going to sneak in. I guess he's dressed as like a maintenance guy or something. Yeah. He's got like the special ladder that hooks up real stealthy. He's going to sneak up on him. He gets shot instantly. Yeah, immediately like he, and it it looks like he's dead at first because he gets shot right in the middle of the chest he's got a bad chest wound yeah like at first i thought he got got so fast that i thought for sure this was part of the plan he was wearing like a kevlar vest and then he was going to fake oh. his death and then come up <laughs> but then as soon as i saw it like he's lying on the ground motionless and like the blood blurbling out of him i'm like oh yeah, I thought he was fucking dead. I thought it was like, wow, that was a very harsh uh, end to this genial character we've quite liked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he, as the main character, spends the entire rest of the movie just lying on his back waiting for someone to rescue him. We don't get confirmation that he survives at the end. No, I mean, I guess he does. He because must, but yeah, there are books. This is part of a long running series. Uh, but yeah, he just falls over and he is lying on his back and there's, we're we're starting to see more from the perspective of Erickson at mm-hmm. this point. Like we, we see a lot of stuff from his perspective and you kind of almost get on his side in a weird way after this point where 
you have these the the shitty cop after him. <laughs> well, yeah. So now now that whatever Beck's plan was failed, they're like, okay, um, all right. Who let's wants send... to go up? And like nobody raised a hand. There's like a civilian nearby. He's like, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the final the team that's going to confront the final boss is Kohlberg, who's going to go up and try to rescue Beck using a series of like ropes and pulleys, try to get him off the building. Yeah, which he does. He does, presumably. Uh, it looks fucking hard. It and looks it's... tough because he's also a lot smaller than Beck. Yeah, yeah, and and like he's. This is where Beck got shot. So I mean, he's at risk of getting he's... shot right now. Yeah, it's it's dangerous. So they kind of have to have a distraction going and everything as well. Yeah. So there's him. There is uh, Larson. of course Larson and Holt. Yep, Holt volunteers. Larson, of course. Yeah, Larson, of course, because he's the kick down doors cop. He's yeah. like, this is what he's been aiming to do the whole time. They, they've been on their little adventures where they run from building to building, and like dressed up in different clothes and <laughs> everything. So he's been waiting for this chance the whole time. And of course, yeah, Holt. Holt, I want to do a violence on the guy who killed my buddy. Yeah, it's like, what was that movie I watched? I, I don't remember who we covered it. The one where some cop's partner got shot at the beginning of the movie and he's just trying to get revenge for it the whole movie and uh, oh. i can't remember what it was god that honestly describes so many cop movies. i know it, it was a very specific thing like right at the beginning the partner gets shot and it takes this long period of time before they kind of get to like yeah but he kind of just wasn't supposed to be there in the first place right <laughs> uh and the the they they hunt down the guys i can't remember maybe it was an adamson or a mm, ray dennis steckler feels like oh. a steckler i don't know hmm. anyway and yeah, yeah. he's gonna he's got a russian and yeah just that one random dude <laughs> oh yeah no um i'm not even like really supposed go. to be here i'm a construction worker but fuck i'll go it's like he's like hey right. who are you i'm like no, i'm just hanging out and we got nothing better to do i'm like i got my own cool gun. you're in <laughs> <laughs> the chief is like, wow, no, you can't bring this guy in. And Larson's like, yeah, I can. He's like, yeah. yeah What's the not? worst that could happen? Oh, yeah. uh, well, <laughs> the worst that could happen is a lot. Because well, because also none of the police want to go. The, police, <laughs> the rest of them are like, I The police don't know. are waiting outside while the violence is happening. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> so they're, they're like... But yeah, I mean this this civilian wants to go. Cobbs don't. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we'll just take sure. it. So it it all comes off pretty well. They get up to the roof. Uh, uh, Kohlberg is successfully uh, getting back down onto a, a lower balcony, so he's not bleeding on a roof. Yeah, um, he he has to. He really's got to work for it. Holy, he's got to attach into all these pulleys. Yeah, mean, he's, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's got to like take off his belt and try to use that to like put pressure on the wound and like when he first gets up there he's not even sure if he's alive so he has yep. to like check and he's just barely like he's very badly hurt mm -hmm. team door kicker does get the drop on erickson and it's the construction construction guy that shoots him in the arm yeah and uh holt is rushing over to fucking end him and, oh uh, yeah he's Colt pistol whipping him <laughs> Yeah, and Larson is like, fucking stop it. We are arresting this man. Yeah, yeah. And also like, hey, buddy, you actually weren't supposed to fire your gun. Uh, and now you're actually in serious trouble. And he's like, although it's also like, 
I'm I'm glad you're the one who took the the shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this guy, like he didn't know what he was supposed to do and not supposed to do. He shouldn't have been there. It's, yeah, it's like it's that's an unlicensed gun, and it's not cool that you just happen to have it. But uh, I am kind of glad you took the shot rather than another police officer taking the shot. <laughs> that could have been bad for us. Yeah, but they still, but they still but say like, to him like, "You are yeah. a deep shit." You're you're in trouble. You you shouldn't have an unlicensed gun, man. Yeah. I don't care how much of a hero with a gun you might think you are. Yeah, and that oh my god, he's a good guy with a gun. He's a good guy good guy with a gun. Fuck. Man, this is <laughs> this is such a twenty twenty three movie. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, so we end on a freeze frame of Erickson's face in black and white. And just staring up at the sky. Yeah. And, uh and it's a fucking great movie <laughs> yeah oh man real good like we <laughs> we breeze through this is like a two-hour film this it kind of reminds me a lot in in tone but it, it's got obviously a much more modern flavor but uh across 110th street which we covered quite a while back oh yeah that was around the beginning of our last year I think so. And it's from, it's much earlier. I think it's from like 70 or 71, uh-huh. but it has that same, it has that really brutal ending where there's the shooting on the roof and everything. And, and Oh yeah. The main cop that, just dies. Dude gets shot in the neck. Yeah. Dakota's like, what the fuck? And then it's over. Yep. <laughs> Across 110th street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this movie is so cool because it feels like we're investigating and we're building up to like a Serpico situation where we're going to expose the corruption and the oh no we got another thing happening now yeah no we're we're more real time <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just oh no now now the 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 investigation is still going on and uh the he's come back to the scene of the crime and it's a mass shooting now yeah it's a mass shooting and like that's that's like the second half of the film is the shooting and it just right. and it all feels it, like one beautiful perfectly cognizant piece it also really like we, we didn't get too much into the the actions of erickson and like not only the the shooting it's just all of his movements during that day and all of like uh they they kind of end up tracking his steps and figuring out all the stuff he's doing and who he talked to and it does really fit the pattern of the sort of thing a mass shooter does like the he's he's done all these other little things and we see like he's been destroying stuff he's been uh attacking other people or he's been giving away stuff he's been leaving letters for people and it's like oh yeah no th- this was building up uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah they, it, they fucking get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh like damn this this movie's good it's so good. Super, super good. Uh, I'm I'm hyped to check out more Bo Weiderberg. He's not a director whose work I'd really been familiar with before. Uh, but uh this this one from Radiance, Radiance Films, a new new label, by the way. Cool, ra- excellent early release. Oh yeah. Uh I, I've uh gotten a handful of their early stuff, and so far it's all pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, uh, the, the restoration quality of this is top notch spectacular looks like it it doesn't just look like it's a new film because uh, it feels new but it looks pristine (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i i I can't stress how much even like the whole time i'm watching it i felt like i was watching a period piece even knowing that it isn't and Mm -hmm. even the second time i watched it i'm like yeah yep this is this came out this year oh no it didn't yeah 
Uh, so, Bo Weiderberg, there's also a Criterion Collection set coming up pretty soon of his that I might have to pick up because this one's really good. Yeah, yeah. Interested to see more. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so did you have any last thoughts on Man on the Roof before we head on to part three? You know, Erickson's kind of an idiot because if if he hadn't done the mass shooting, they could have found all the corruption and he just drew all the police attention away from that uh, well i don't uh, know i i feel like he's bringing it very public in uh and also he ended up not dying which is not usually something that happens with a mass shooter so that yeah that's... he can continue to make it public oh uh, that's a good point there's going to be a whole trial for him he can that i'd watch that movie too you know the trial yeah, of this I guy like I'm, I'm not familiar with the series of books, but I wonder if it uh, addresses this sort of stuff because I assume it's a, a similar thing. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I don't know how close this follows the book at all. Because I like apparently I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the book, and it does say that you know the novel does end with Martin Beck seriously injured oh. from the shot, uh, and there are subsequent ones in the series there's like three more after this oh okay well so beck survives yeah yeah cool yeah i'm definitely interested in more of this oh totally i mean i don't think there are any other movies based on the beck series but which is too bad uh and i I looked it up there are i think tv shows based on it but no Mm, this might be the only movie this is definitely the only one with this actor is beck Right. And uh, Bo Weiderberg only ever made one other crime film oh. uh, in the 80s, one called The Man from Majorca. Oh, interesting. So what other kind of films did he cool. do? I, I, My understanding is his work is very political oh. and it tends to just sort of examine different elements of Swedish society. Cool, cool. Well, that's certainly a country I don't know a whole lot about the society of. True. Oh, yeah. And that's something that uh, we didn't address. I, last time we were saying we weren't sure if we'd covered another Swedish film. But of there course, has been fucking one. Amal. Yeah. Fucking Amal <laughs> is, is a Swedish film, of course. Yeah, I was just actually thinking because the name Holt, uh, the name of the cop, I was like, isn't that the name of the useless boyfriend in fucking Amal? <laughs> it might have been, come to think of it, yeah. And boy, <laughs> was he useless. Oh, yeah, and one other thing before we move on. I forgot to mention, or I I, I couldn't come up with it when we were talking about it in part one, but uh, Jutaro Kitashiro, who was uh, uh, the the asshole samurai in part one, in, in Zatoichi the Fugitive, he was the one who was the head of the self-defense force in the Gamera movies. Right, right. And he'll also turn up in Zatoichi and the Fugitives. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the villain in that one too, I presume. <laughs> All right, Fugitives. I've been a fugitive once. I know the score. I'm like, wait a second, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that face anywhere. Aren't you blind? I thought I killed you. <laughs> Could have sworn. Uh, all right. So any last thoughts before we move on to part three? No, I'm ready to move on. All righty. And we're back for part three, the watched stacks. We're going to talk about all the other movies we've watched in the past week. 
And uh, from those, pick one for our second feature of next week. All right. What do we got this time? So first up from the Pemini organization, a very short-lived British film company. They made three movies, arguably two and a half. (laughs) Because the first one's a short film, Hunted. I covered that one a little while back. We we didn't cover it, but uh, it's one I watched. So their their second film was Assassin. Oh. And obviously a much bigger production. You know, that previous one, it had two characters. It took place in a room. Oh, I remember you were talking about that. Yeah. So this one's more of an actual picture. You know, you got a bunch of locations, you got a full cast, you got a full feature length. Uh, So it's uh, this guy, he's an assassin and he works for like an assassin's bureau. I think that doesn't really exist, you know? (laughs) Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, no, (laughs) there's no, there's no assassin guild, but it's almost like uh if if there were an assassin's guild version of ipcress file oh you know? like it, it he he's just a pretty normal dude and he's sent to do this thing and he has almost no information he doesn't know who this guy is or why he's sent to kill him and there's also these other guys who work with the same group who are tailing him because maybe he's not supposed to kill this guy and maybe they're gonna <laughs> kill him and they don't really know, and he doesn't know. Nobody <laughs> really knows anything. Yeah, it's weird. It, it's this. It's it's very detached. It's him just kind of figuring out how he's going to do this killing and whether or not it's actually supposed to go down. And we kind of see what's going on with in the life of the guy he's supposed to kill, and uh, it's there them. You know, there's a there's a big marriage coming up, and that's where it's going to go down. It's, okay, it's interesting. Cool. Uh, very chill, but also sort of like weird and disjointed. Hmm. All right. Next from the Ormonds, the Ormond family box, uh, the second film uh, after Untamed Mistress that I talked about last week, which was <laughs> crazy. Uh, this one, I don't know how much of it is actually the title, but on the poster, there's like a whole story. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is called Please Don't Touch Me. why did marriage have to be this cruel and ugly why couldn't it bring me the happiness i longed for yeah that's on the poster so yeah i mean this is a movie that really hits the ground running before the credits we have a creepy guy stalking a lady through the forest and uh sexually assaulting her that's pre-credits right right (laughs) so then during the credits we are hypnotized by the movie. We have like the 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 pendant going back and forth. Right. And then we go into a Mondo film. Oh, okay. We we learn about the history of hypnotism worldwide. And also here's some footage we have of self-flagellation or uh Indian fakirs who lie on beds of nails and we're going to go through all of that stuff. I'm like, now let's talk to a real hypnotist. And we talk <laughs> to this guy, uh, Ormond, uh, who is a buddy of Ron Ormond, and it's who he named himself after for some reason. <laughs> what? Okay. And sure. then, you know, finally we get back to this point where uh, he's supposed, this Ormond guy, he is a hypnotist, and he's supposed to be called in on this case of this lady who we met in the pre-credit sequence, our uncredited lead character oh uh uncredited lead character 
Yeah, she uh this is the only movie she was ever in. She is she looks like she is another species from everyone else because <laughs> she is like a modern supermodel looking lady and the rest of them are like cheap uh, like poverty row faces and it's like she is from a different planet than the rest of them it's so strange and she yeah okay uncredited no uh unknown uh, she was never in anything else oh wow very strange interesting maybe was in nudie mags at the time given oh. what i i've seen of these other ormond stuff so yeah, her thing is uh, she's been married for about six months, but she can't be intimate with her husband uh, because every time he uh, tries to touch her, she has flashbacks to her rape and she can't get past it. And uh, the her mother-in-law, or, or rather the mother-in-law, her mother, uh, is trying to break up the marriage. It like It's very weird. It turns into, you remember, I, I watched the first episode of Mad Men with you, right? Yes, yeah. And how uh, uh, Peggy Draper, I think it's Peggy. Oh. Uh, the wife, anyway, she goes to a psychologist and, and then after the psychology session, he phones the he phones Don to tell him everything they talked about. You remember that being an especially nasty part of that first episode? Right. This whole movie kind of feels like it's within that, uh, where where it's like, they're trying to use the psychology and use the hypnotism to get her over it and decide that, no, she was never raped. And it's actually her mother just trying to break up the marriage. Okay. It's a hell of a thing is all I'm saying. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Them Ormonds. Uh, quite a time. <laughs> Next up, Rotasana, Red Sun. Oh. Uh, this is another of the uh, first few discs from Radiance. Uh, the, okay. the label that put out Man on the Roof. Oh, okay, okay. So this is a German film, and it is about this uh, this fucking scrub. This guy, he's just, <laughs> what a goddamn fucking scrub this guy is. Uh, he he wakes up in the backseat of a taxi. He's like, what the fuck's going on? I don't even know where I am. And <laughs> he the taxi driver is like, let, lets him out at a bar, and he, he bums money off the cab driver. <laughs> never seen that work before somehow uh and he goes into the bar which is a workplace of his ex his ex-girlfriend and he is you know he comes to bother her at work he's brought a bottle of wine into her bar workplace oh good good <laughs> thing to do real good thing to do and he's just being a pain. He's being gross to other customers. And he just like is bugging her at work for money and to get a place to stay. So she he comes to stay at her place. And it takes him a very, very long time to figure it out. But uh, the rest of them, you know, they don't really like they he keeps seeing these boyfriends. They don't seem to stick around uh, because uh, they have this pact as a group. They're a feminist commune. And after oh. five days uh, of having any boyfriend, they kill them. Oh, oh, that's a that's a good thing to do as well. <laughs> uh, so he, it's she's 
like when he shows up everyone's like oh he's that guy it, it kind of feels like he <laughs> he's such a fucking scrub he inspired the whole concept uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason he is like able to figure out what's coming down despite no other man having figured it out up to this point which i mean it speaks ill of men because uh, <laughs> they're 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 not really private about it because uh, like his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend like puts him in the room and then like goes into the next room the night he gets there and executes a guy <laughs> uh but yeah i mean you know it did it, it slowly unravels <laughs> honey what was all that screaming <laughs> nothing they had him tied to a chair and gagged mm. oh okay oh good but they used silencer. <laughs> oh. uh, next is Demon of Paradise. Uh, last week I got confused about Sirio Santiago because I, I was talking about Killzone and Sirio Santiago has a movie called Killzone. And I knew there was a Sirio Santiago that I had just been looking at. This is the one I had in oh. mind. It's oh, okay. It's like Sirio Santiago doing a Creature of the Black Lagoon type movie, but also it's like 90 or 87. So late late to the game <laughs> uh it's weird it's so there's these dudes doing doing a bunch of dynamite fishing and obviously it wakes up a fucking creature <laughs> the creature keeps fucking eating people and so they keep throwing dynamite at it and it's just not working out <laughs> uh yeah i mean that's about it <laughs> okay just liminal cinema uh and uh next up is one we watched fucking everything everywhere all at once good movie this movie is so much movie this is the uh, most movie uh it's it's funny it's uh, it, it is an aesthetic uh called clutter bitch i believe <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay okay yeah. i see it yeah just so fucking packed with everything all the time yeah they're oh man i <laughs> I died laughing when we first got to the the hot dogs, <laughs> the hot dog fingers thing. The hot dog I've, fingers. You know, it's funny. There there are people who really hate the movie because of that stuff, like the the hot dog fingers thing and the raccoon thing. And I get oh, it, but, but there's they're funny. <laughs> yeah, like the whole point. They're is well deployed. Even the dumbest shit can still happen and. You just got to deal with it. Yeah. And it's also just like, you know, whatever gets you through. Okay. Uh (laughs) Just try to be kind to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. I I liked it a whole lot. Uh, It's really good. I like, I watched it with a lot of the backlash in mind because had not seen it till now. And I don't know. Yeah. I I don't buy it. I I feel like I get it. It's a fun movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I, I do feel also, it, it has some of the most annoying fans online. Oh, as as someone who is in a lot of those spaces, they do, it does have a fandom of people who like get really angry at people saying bad things about the movie and oh. getting like really really defensive about it. And it's like guys, you feel like you're missing the point of the movie's whole be kind message. Anyway, good movie. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not get riled up over a movie with uh, hot dog fingers. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's the the mystery science theater thing. Like, let's all just calm down. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, you should really just relax. 
Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is great. Oh, I liked her a whole. I think everybody's really great. Uh, mm. uh, uh who was famously short round way back in uh, Temple of Doom, is so lovable in this movie. Oh, he's adorable. Uh, one thing that's kind of fun on uh, on Letterboxd, you know, if you have written a review of it, you will have a googly eye in the reviewed spot. <laughs> and that's his thing. He puts googly eyes and stuff. They're everywhere if you're looking for them. <laughs> Next up, The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, one of the, This is one of the ones I don't know if I've seen. It's a remake of You Only Live Twice, basically. Oh. <laughs> like, not not explicitly, but it's like a beat-for-beat, scene-for-scene remake. <laughs> you Only Live Twice <laughs> with a different location and a different villain. Uh, this one very famously introduces Jaws, because it was 1977, and Jaws had come out and was very successful. So they have a guy with metal teeth who bites a shark. I thought Jaws was first. Oh, no. Moonraker is the other one that he's in. Yeah. Moonraker is the next one. That's his like redemption. Also arc. in. Yeah. And in this one, it's just he he was really popular. People really liked him because <laughs> he he's in all these situations which would kill previous henchmen. And then he just like gets up and shakes himself off and like comes after <laughs> Bond again. Which, you know, was fun. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. It's it's an elevated entry. It's really goofy, but it's not quite as hardcore goofy as Moonraker, which is why I've always liked Moonraker a bit more. Hmm. I, I feel okay. like Moonraker just leans into it more, but this is usually seen as the definitive Roger Moore, and I'd say that's probably correct. Okay. Like it feels like his definitive outing is Bond. It's the one that kind of best captures him. Uh, so this one, the, the difference between you only live twice Moonraker Moonraker is also a remake of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have five bond stories and 30 bond films. Let's make this work. <laughs> they did this one three times, two of them in a row. Uh, this one, instead of like, you've seen Moonraker, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I definitely seen that one. Yeah, so Moonraker has the whole thing where he's going to blow up the world and start a new society in space. Yeah, with his uh, beautiful Superman and him. Yeah, so it's that, except under the sea. He's going to start a new society under the water. Uh, He's going to start a new Atlantis. He's got his own sea lab. He's got his uh, mega yacht that can uh, swallow other submarines. You know, it's a big boat that swallows submarines, which is how we open him sneaking up on a submarine with a giant mega freighter somehow. And And he he keeps the crews in his huge fucking ocean lair, which has its own submarine dock and gets totally exploded at the end when it's attacked by ninjas. I mean, it's it is. You only live twice again. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Uh, also gave us the uh, most famously the song nobody does it better uh did you know that was a james bond song i didn't <laughs> yeah that's what that one's from uh strange one it's it's an outing <laughs> <laughs> it's very corny all right next up method man uh or the avenging boxer uh, or it, the fearless young boxer. Apparently. I mean, you know, these Jackie's exploitation movies, they put them out <laughs> under name after name after name. <laughs> so method man. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, the well, of course, we all know the rapper. Right, yeah, source of the Wu-Tang character name for sure. Because uh, all of them are named after like Shaw Brothers and stuff, Kung Fu names. Uh, Ghostface Killer obviously was in the previous one we talked about from this uh, Gold Ninja video, uh, Jackie Exploitation set. Mm-hmm. So this one, uh, man, there's not much of a plot. And <laughs> it's this guy in the opening scene, uh, he's, he's a kid and his dad gets killed in a Kung Fu competition. He gets killed in a Kung Fu off with this guy who's just sort of like, it's weird. He's the, the point of this guy is he is a problem Kung Fu guy. He's wandering around and he gets in little minor snits with people and fucking executes them with Kung Fu. Oh, you know, he's he is a dangerous fucking Kung Fu mad dog who pretty much has to be put down. Someone needs to deal with him. Okay, And that sounds like it would be, you know, a pretty, you know, it sounds like a Sonny Chiba type movie, right? Sure, sure. Not a Jackie Chan style comedy Kung Fu movie, which this is. No, actually, you're right. It doesn't sound like it'd be uh, funny Kung Fu. Yeah, it doesn't play right. It's really weird. And you have all these comedy scenes where he's kind of it's it's I mean, honestly, almost the whole movie is just fights and fights and fights and fights. Comedy fights, comedy fights. Uh <laughs> and the comedy's good, the fights are good, but none of it amounts to anything. And then finally at the end he has to fight the guy to the death. It's like, okay, <laughs> weird tone. All right. <laughs> uh I all had right. a lot of we fun. We just got but... done playing with bananas. Now I'm now for the death match. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's sort of up and down. Uh, it's like solidly entertaining. The action's really good. They're like the people in it are all very talented uh, Kung Fu artists. And uh, the 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 humor is really funny. Like there's a lot of good comedy, but it's just like, I don't know why any of this ever happens. And then it's like <laughs> at the beginning, he swears vengeance. At the end, he gets vengeance. And everything in between is just like, <laughs> let's fill the time. <laughs> all right well that might be fun <laughs> maybe uh, i mean i'd have a hard time talking about it because i can't remember anything that took place <laughs> <laughs> okay well noted <laughs> maybe our shortest like, episode ever <laughs> watched it like three days ago oh, uh, <laughs> next ninja in the claws of the cia oh that's uh, where a ninja doesn't want to be no, and that's kind of like the whole thing. It's this weird. Uh, so it's John Liu who uh, next didn't finish making New York Ninja. Oh, that's him. This is a vanity project that he did right before New York Ninja. It could practically be a New York Ninja origin story movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's <laughs> it's weird because John Liu plays himself. John Liu. Uh, great kung fu man who has like actively been in all these important worldwide real competitions and faced off against uh great martial artists like chuck norris <laughs> <laughs> I, I at the time it held more weight he wasn't yeah, like, yeah. facing off against people like joe piscopo was the final villain uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah no chuck more norris was considered like a he was, real guy, he like was, a real was, martial arts. Yeah, he was a legit martial artist back in the day. And this is 81, so he had really only just started being in movies. I think he'd just done The Octagon by that point. Hmm. Anyway, uh, made in China slash in the claws of the CIA. His I, his concept, in, this is a complete vanity project. Like, it is obviously a movie made for John Liu to be a star. 
<laughs> kind of like what it like like what New York Ninja felt like. It's sort of, but maybe more like Champagne and Bullets. You know, oh. like figure a slider in between those two. That's where you're at with uh, uh, Ninja in the Claws of the CIA. So <laughs> his his concept is that as a great martial artist, it is inevitable. This happens to all of them. The CIA is going to come along and forcibly recruit him. Oh, Sure. And like people are telling him this, and he's like, no, no, that's never going to happen to me. And then the CIA show up and they press gang him in. And then almost all of the movie is them putting him through the most intensive training. It's like, why did you choose him then? If he couldn't do any of the stuff, why are you putting him through this extremely intensive training? Like, it wasn't the point that he already has all of the skills. <laughs> the mission is such a blip that I don't really recall what happens. And then, uh, <laughs> they decide to immediately burn him and everybody he knows. And it's just like him fighting back against them. And then they're like, I don't know, <laughs> weird, incoherent vanity project stuff, but, uh, you know, it's fun. Sure. There's this really bizarre part where he is getting like a Kung Fu blowjob. He's just in a forest and he's <laughs> staying stock still. And there's this lady who just becomes really horny is humping a tree because of there's this whole mind control plot in this as well. So the, CIA mind control. Uh, it's like an MK Ultra sort of thing. They they got they play tapes and they all, you know, it's the the psychic driving thing. We're well, yeah, gonna she, give her the horny so bad she has to be hospitalized. Yeah, she's like rubbing up on a tree, and then she comes over, and he has to like fight against everything, and he's just like looking very serious, and she's like, you know, kneeling at uh, in front of him, and he's like making weird faces. Bizarre, <laughs> weird. Uh, next up, Forest of the Wolf, uh, aka the Unseen's Woods. Uh, this is uh, first in a new box from Vinegar Syndrome, The Villages of the Damned. Uh, oh, three horrors from Spain. Uh, very interesting. It, it is, it's a folk horror movie, but it's a true crime story. Oh. That that it that does sound interesting. Uh, do tell. Do tell. Yeah. So so he uh, it's based on the first uh, known serial killer in Spanish history. Oh, uh, I can't remember the name of this dude, but uh, he he's sort of like this peddler, and he goes from town to town. It's like back in the eighteen fifties. Oh, okay. And oh, I'm looking at the description. He. Rumors spread that he might be a werewolf. Yeah, so that's the thing. It plays it like a werewolf movie, and it's got the tone of it, and everybody kind of treats him as a werewolf. He has these moments, like when he commits the crimes, he sort of becomes, he, he undergoes a transformation, but it's not like he doesn't actually turn into a wolf. It's almost like an abstract werewolf movie where you just imagine the wolf part of it. Okay. Uh, very interesting. Uh, it's it's just super well done, super atmospheric, uh, and th it's this guy who just he has this compulsion to kill. We see flashbacks of his childhood and how there was like the this fulminating event or culminating event where uh, he he had this weird trauma that connected uh, horses fucking and fire and getting beaten all together and <laughs> oh my uh, god <laughs> there's uh, you know he he has this uh he 
he has this aversion to religious symbols because of his religious upbringing, which sort of, you know, gives the sort of supernatural element of the cross to the wolf and the Bible. 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 Uh, Yeah, pretty cool. All right. And last up is Battle for the Planet of the Apes, the final chapter. Is it the final? Oh, I know it's not the final chapter. They do one later. (laughs) It was the final chapter for this series. Oh, okay. Because they had, uh, you know, the previous four of them. This was the finale. uh, And I think there was also a TV series, which was contemporary with the movie, but was uh, taking place during like actual apes time. Oh, okay. So this one's like another jump forward from the previous one, Conquest, where we had the piles of burning dead cops in the streets as the apes had their slave revolt. Hmm. So it's like 20 years later, and it's a it's basically post-apocalyptic society already, but uh, it's sort of looping back to the earlier films now. So the mutants who worshipped the bomb and blew up the world in part two they're starting to develop in their underground communities. Okay. And all the apes can talk now. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> they <laughs> just, just in the previous one. Yeah, you know, in the previous one it was just Caesar. Now they all talk. They have the whole ape society. Yeah. Uh and they're living side by side with humans, but it's completely agrarian cuz pretty much everything has been destroyed. They have like no electricity or anything. No cars. Yeah. Uh it, it's it's Suddenly, they're mostly in farms. Okay. <laughs> they they didn't have a budget, is the thing. <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's it's sort of this weird thing where they're trying to fend... It's, it's like the last big battle uh, between man and ape. And uh, Caesar is currently running all the apes, but the, you know... There are other types of... Ape, like, different classes of apes want to be more violent and want to... Uh, take more of an action against the humans and uh, Caesar doesn't want to things to turn out the way things turned out. And they go to the ruins of the old city and find video footage of his parents. So can find out what their prophecies were and try to avoid them. And, you know, uh, uh-huh. very circular stuff where they're kind of setting it up to be a loop, but also have kind of a happier ending where it's like, maybe they don't actually Go like maybe they don't blow themselves up this time, but they're maniacs, and of also blow it up. Well, and and also the world's already kind of blown up. <laughs> There's not a whole lot left. It doesn't look like. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, those are our ten picks. What do you figure? Uh well, you've got me really interested in the uh, not a werewolf movie. Uh, the Unseen's Woods or Forest of the Wolf. Uh, yeah. yeah, really fucking good shit. Cool. I, I was impressed. I'd say that's uh, definitely the best one I watched in the past week that you did not also watch. Mm, yeah. Yeah, everything everywhere was real, it's real good. good. I mean, I might argue that Unseen's Woods is maybe a better movie, but... Oh. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's well, tough call. I'm going to find out. <laughs> I, like, I think I, I would ultimately rate uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once higher. Hmm. Uh, so we've got quite a few additions to the stacks because I added a few box sets that I've had hanging around that are not in the stacks or represented. So I was like, I, I got to get these listed somewhere. 
<laughs> All right. So a little bit of catch-ups. We've got some extra stacks. Uh, first one uh, box set uh, from Severin, House of Psychotic Women. This is uh, oh, <laughs> it's uh, related to a book by Kirla Janice, really great female critic, feminist film critic who talks about horror and exploitation quite a bit. And it's a curated box set of uh, films that she picked. Okay. So first one is Identikit, a uh, very strange European movie starring Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, really? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor show, is this, I, I think at the beginning we know she's dead. And they're right. retracing her steps to kind of figure out why she came to Europe and died. And what exactly happened and was she chasing death? Was she uh, looking for her own demise? Okay. Uh, and it, it it does seem like she was there to get into some form of danger and that she's really not well balanced. Hmm. Uh, I have seen it before. I recall it being pretty convoluted and I wasn't super into it, but I'm interested to revisit it, uh, having given it some time. Okay, cool. Next is The Black Pit of Dr. M. Oh, that sounds like um, it's going to be schlocky horror, isn't it? Uh, It is from a set called Mexico Macabre from Indicator. Uh, It is uh, late 50s, early 60s mexican horror okay cool uh and like gothic mexican horror Hmm. so this one it's uh it's very it it feels like something from poe uh might actually be kind of loosely based on poe so it's it's this it's these two elderly uh scientists or doctors or whatever and they've got this uh this bet that when one of them dies, they're going to uh, try the best they can to get information to the other about the afterlife. Okay. So they're, they're kind of doing a uh, Gothic flatliners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I guess just things go creepy really fast when they, you know, they do a seance and things just obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. <laughs> Basic right. kind of thing uh next the dungeon master which is uh from (laughs) the uh new arrow video Uh, i think it's called enter the video store empire of screams (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is a collection of movies made by empire films or uh, empire empire oh what is the name of this the uh it'll, it'll say on the back here uh empire international pictures uh which is sort of a pre- uh predecessor to full moon who made like uh fuck it, the, the puppet master movies oh okay okay yeah. um so the first in the set is the dungeon master this is a movie i have seen before it's a very strange one uh this uh this poster absolutely feels like an 80s oh yeah uh, <laughs> like D and D ad in a magazine. So yeah, I mean, combine D and D with hacking plus eighties, because you got oh boy this guy who's uh, really obsessed with computers, and oh, and then he does hacking and he's in. Well, yeah, and he he's like obsessed with his computer and he keeps ignoring his girlfriend, and then 
there's an evil wizard who contacts him through the computer. Who's <laughs> As like, you do. You're the most worthy opponent. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to bring you into my world. And his computer gets turned into a wristband that he can use as a weapon. And then he has to fight a bunch of monsters. <laughs> uh, this this movie, I think, is maybe most famous for... Uh, there's a quote from it that is like heavily used by one of the dudes from Mythbusters. Oh. Uh, I reject your reality and replace it with mine. Or something That's like that? That's from this? That's I've from this that. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next, uh, obviously, Zatoichi on the Road, which we discussed in part one. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Moments, which is the third and final film made by the Pemini organization. Okay. Uh, this one's a drama. It is about this guy who is in a seaside town, Eastburn, in the UK. And it's just really liminal and depressing. And he's kind of thinking of committing suicide. And there's this lady who shows up who's it's basically just a two-person movie again like the first one but more of a just like these people in the seaside town in the off season and just dealing with depression and the sort of uh uh experiencing sort of the weird reality of being in uh an empty vacation town all right kind of sounds like my kind of vibe (laughs) it could be interesting yeah uh next uh, from the Ormonds box, White Lightning Road. Ooh, this uh, this is one of those posters that has a lot on it. Yeah, so it, it doesn't have a lot of story, from what I understand. It's <laughs> like there's a couple stock car racers who are, are rivals, but they're also uh, dealing with moonshine. You know, they're they're moonshine runners off the track, and they're just rivals on and off. You know, <laughs> on the track, and then in in their moonshine and and. Yeah, it'll be it's like Dukes of Hazard, but in the 50s, right? <laughs> or no, yeah. late 60s, late 60s, <laughs> and exploitation y, so there's probably nudity. Oh, sure, because I mean, of they course. managed to get it in their 50s movies, they're gonna have it in here. <laughs> uh, next is The Broken Mirror, which sounds oh. really interesting, uh, also known as Trompe and it is. I, I it, from what I hear, it, it sounds almost genreless. It's this lady who is a a painting restorationist, and she's pregnant with, I think, her first child, and then she starts having memories relating to a painting, like restoring a painting that she doesn't recall ever actually having restored, and starts to become obsessed with it and she wants to figure out why it suddenly is totally occupying her mind so like she's dealing with uh uh what do you call it intrusive thoughts that she just can't shake right okay and just sort of starts spiraling into her own mind and the mysteries within Hmm. sounds very interesting yes it does uh, next, from the uh, Jackie exploitation set, we've got the Incredible Kung Fu Master. All right. Uh, which sounds very shenanigans heavy. It's a Sammo <laughs> Hung. I like Sammo Hung quite a bit. There's this guy, Tung Wei, 
who wants to learn Kung Fu and he's training under these two different masters. And then there's another master who makes those two masters mad at each other. And then, <laughs> so he has to choose one. And then there's like this other guy, the tiger master who wants to fight everyone to the death. And so Tung has to go to another master to get him to train him. And I think that's Sammo Hung. <laughs> and Sammo Hung teaches him like comedy drunken master shit. Nice. Presumably. Based on the poster, it definitely looks like it's that style. Yeah, the poster is one of those uh, funny Japanese, like, cartoon-looking things. Or, I guess, Chinese. It's yeah, and the, the, like, it's the, not going to be a serious affair. Right. The The dude on the left is clearly Sammo Hung, and the dude on the right must be Tung Wei, who is obviously meant to be a fake Jackie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next from the Villages of the Damned set is Beatrice, uh, where this kid sees a monk get assaulted, and then the monk fucking turns around and murders all of the guys back. Oh. And then they bring the monk to this estate where he's kind of hanging there, but then the there's this creepy daughter who becomes possessed by the devil. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the child, it, because she's possessed, everyone thinks it's the monk's fault because he killed those people or something. I don't know. It sounds right. <laughs> interesting. Uh, like, again, weird gothic stuff that's sort of semi-political. And that's certainly the point with these Villages of the Damned one. Uh, this is during the transition from more fascist era in Spain. So they're like, like uh, I, I think this is after Franco the death of Franco or during Franco's reign and okay. them uh, dealing with the ills of the time by looking at it through uh, Gothic horror set in previous eras. Okay, cool. And last edition is planet of the apes, 2001, the Tim Burton one with Marky Mark. Oh, right. This, yeah, this is what I'm thinking of. This is yeah. like a remake of the first one or kind of, Basically, it's essentially a remake of the original, sort of based more on the original French novel, I guess. Okay. I saw this in the theater when it came out. Hmm. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see this? Uh, you know what? I did see this in the theater. Yeah, it sucks. It's I don't remember. Terrible. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, I, I remember seeing it uh, when Silver City was brand new in town. It's like 2000, 2001. Yeah, I I was in some small little town <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Don't remember which one. It was one of them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a bad movie. It's weird. <laughs> uh, too much apes in a weird sort of way. It's like the poster. It's all in sort of a desaturated blue tone that is boring to look at you'd think tim okay. burton would have more of a visual flair than that but this is when he is in sort of his depressed goth era oh uh, obviously helena bonham carter is the lady ape who right <laughs> who obviously is into mark Wahlberg in this that that is like a weird <laughs> element that she's obviously hot for him which is a whole strange thing that they did not have in the original ones <laughs> Zero was not trying to bang Charlton Heston, but she seems <laughs> to be like into Marky Mark. 
Uh, and yeah, you got like, I think Tim Roth as like the angry uh, guerrilla general and just too many people who are very recognizable actors in uh, ex- excessive ape makeup where they're not really recognizable as they're doing way too much. <laughs> but I don't know. I haven't watched it in like a decade. Yeah, I only ever saw it when it was new. I, I'm i sure it's not that great still. <laughs> Oh, I don't expect it to be so. But yeah, I have seen it a couple other times, but not in a while. So those are our only additions. What do you figure for our main feature next week? Well, I'm thinking of a couple of things. All right. Uh, I've got three ideas that uh, are actually all pretty close together in the stacks uh, towards the top. I was thinking we could go with a folk horror theme and revisit that old folk horror box that we've barely touched in like over a year has been quite a while because uh, uh, witch hammer was the last one yeah oh so it, it wouldn't have been over a year then yeah. but nearly a year so vi or v vi, is the next yep. one there uh it is from what i understand it, it's been described as the first russian horror movie okay uh a young priest is ordered to preside over the wake of a witch in the church of a remote village, spending three nights alone with the corpse with only his faith to protect him. Okay, that sounds cool. It's kind of based on the same story or concept. It's very, very similar in style to, or not style, definitely not in style, actually, but story-wise to uh, Lepterica, which we covered. It's a vampire thing. There's these people who need to stay overnight and watch the thing. But it's like mega psychedelic. You know, oh, that sounds fun. Uh, it, it's got like uh, just really highly colorful and weird kind of energy. This is one I have seen before. Okay, cool. Uh, the second thing I was considering is uh, we we didn't touch on uh, uh, what's his name, Sidaris, uh, the past year. That is true. Andy Sidaris uh, with Picasso Trigger is the next one. Uh, uh yeah we did hard ticket to hawaii i think was like our 49th or 50th episode that sounds like it's about right so but, but, uh, yeah we didn't do them last year picasso trigger uh there is the picasso trigger is assassinated in paris by oh, miguel so picasso ortiz trigger is the, <laughs> so so picasso trigger is the agent but he he's, dies. Yeah, he's killed at the beginning, and then we're getting revenge for him. It's been a while since I've seen this one. Uh, Ortiz is trying to kill all of the people in the agency for the death of his brother. I think maybe his brother was the guy who was thrown out the window at the end of the last one? Oh, the uh, the Kahuna, maybe? Maybe? Okay. I don't really recall uh, if Ortiz has been around before, but you know, it's, it's that same energy. Uh, I have seen (laughs) the next few of them and they, they retain the same energy. Oh, that'll be fun. Uh, The the third one I was thinking of, and I looked at the runtime on this, so I'm not sure. Les Vampires. Yes. I was like, Oh, cool. A movie from 1915. That'll now be the oldest thing I've seen. So it's a, saw... it's a serial. So if we were to do it, I figure we'd do some of it. Cause we like it's it's separated into episodes. It's ten episodes. 
Yeah, yeah. I saw the runtime is 422 minutes. <laughs> it is quite long. Because, you know, this yeah, is something this... that would have run over weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I see now this is a, a, it's a whole series. Yeah. So, I mean, we could certainly do, we, we could start it and watch, like, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe it's 10 episodes. We could do, I, I'm not sure how long they are each. Let me let okay. me calculate out uh, for well, twenty. Well, yeah, about, about 40, 40, 40 minutes. minutes each. Yeah, we could definitely do three at least. Three, I, I think we could if we were going to go down that direction. Right, we could do three of those, three of those, and then four of those to finish it off. Yeah, maybe, something like that. So but yeah, I... those are all pretty good options. Mm-hmm. Although I'm thinking that'd be an interesting thing to do on Halloween. Mm, maybe. Maybe dig through the Maybe. whole series. Yeah, uh, but we have a long time until Halloween still. Yeah, and uh, I'm not. I don't know if I'm quite ready to like start digging into a series just yet. Fair enough. I, mean, I think I think I like the first idea to go with Vi V I Y psychedelic horror to Do go a, with our uh, yeah yeah a pair of folk horrors. Hmm. Let's go with our not a werewolf but a werewolf movie. Yeah, they're they're going to be very very different styles of folk horror for sure. Cool. Uh, uh, but yeah, th- those would be cool to look at and contrast. Uh, so yeah, next week uh, on the stacks we'll be doing Vi and from Villages of the Damned, uh, Forest of the Wolf uh, is is the title it has on the Vinegar Syndrome set. Cool. Uh, cool. Right on. Spooky uh, horror time. Yeah. Uh, right at the height of summer. Get some chills down the spine. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I got nothing. All right. We'll catch you next week. It's slashing its way to the top of the pops. It's Zatoichi and the Fugitives with their smash hit. Zato. Zato. <laughs> I wasn't going to top that. <laughs>